This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Well, it looks like we have an SEC schedule for 2024. Mark your calendars, people. Well, can't exactly mark them yet, but we know who we're playing. And boy, it was a dramatic 60 minutes last night as uh, we dissect and analyze and give you the pros and cons of all 16, 16 teams from uh, the SEC. Welcome in the opening kickoff. A new day is upon us here on this Thursday edition. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Certainly, uh, the the SEC ranks right up there when it comes to a PR machine. When I look at what happened like two, three weeks ago when I was in Sandestin and all the negativity about not going to a nine-game SEC schedule, and then you come back on June 14th, and everybody is just raving about the games and the matchups and everything. And, Mark, my main concern is, because you know I'm in favor of the nine-game conference schedule, I want wonder if all the hoopla and all the fanfare over the eight-game schedule might negate nine games down the road. There were some that were hoping that the SEC would announce during the show that they were going to nine games in 2025. But I'm wondering now, with with everybody getting so excited about the matchups and everything, if, in fact, we may never get to nine games because, well, the SEC put on quite a show yesterday where eight games seemed to be pretty good. Yeah, they were compelling. Uh, now, when you when you show those teams just just those games, it certainly seems very uh, very competitive. Let's see what happens when you throw in the other three or four games uh, and, and see how people react. But yeah, it was compelling television, uh, as compelling as schedule reveals can be. I'm never a huge fan of schedule reveals, but it. There, there was a lot of meat on those bones, right? Uh, we talked about it before we came on the show. I kept waiting to see where one team sticks out where, oh, man, they got the advantage. Look how easy that is. And it just never struck me as any one team necessarily got the easiest schedule or the hardest schedule for that matter. I mean, I, I think there's some really exciting games, some very competitive games. And, and I think... Uh, ultimately goes back to what I've said for a long time now. As as a fan, you're going to want one thing. As a league or as an administrator for the SEC, your job is to protect your league at all costs. They did a great job with rivalries, and they said they would. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma, first year in 2024, every SEC school will face either Texas or Oklahoma. From Auburn's standpoint, I was a little disappointed – and I don't know how they feel about it, that they have to go on the road and face both Alabama and Georgia. I was thinking or hoping that they would split that mark where they may get one at home and one on the road. They are the only SEC school that has to face Alabama and Georgia on the road. Tennessee will host Alabama and then will go to Georgia. So from that standpoint, I I saw that LSU is no longer on Auburn's schedule, at least for 2024. But don't fret because they'll be back eventually. This is going to be turned around almost every year. And and again, we don't know if they're going to go 
go to nine or stay at eight. But those were some of the things. And then, as I was telling you off the air, I get a kick when, you know, they bring all these commentators on. Oh, who's got the toughest schedule? Well, it's impossible to know because you don't know who the quarterback's going to be. You don't even know who the coach is going to be. And I'm, I'm thinking, come on, fellas, does anybody have a tougher schedule than Vanderbilt? Seriously? I mean, everybody's talking about, gee, Alabama's got a really tough schedule. Yeah, with the type of team they have, yeah, sure, they got some tough games. They all have tough games. But how about pity poor Vanderbilt? They, you know, they're, they're usually at the bottom of the league, and they have to face, what, Alabama, Tennessee, Texas, LSU, Auburn? Hi, you know. I'll tell you, Mark. And getting to that, if if we want to put the whole schedule together, including non-conference, I don't. I didn't hear them talk much about it. I think there was maybe a slight reference to, to it, but to me, LSU's got the best schedule. I mean, as far as uh, name teams in there, you got your eight games, right? Do you know also on the schedule who they have? Southern Cal, UCLA, and South Alabama. So you yeah. got so you got ten you got ten power five teams and who knows we don't know how the Jags will be in in twenty twenty four but maybe they sneak up on them who knows I mean with, with all the the type unless they get rid of either UCLA or Southern Cal and by then those two teams are in the Big Ten so when you talk about an overall twelve game schedule I can't find anybody who can match that as far as uh, you know in your in your league. And then going outside the league and playing UCLA and Southern Cal. I heard a lot of feedback that Florida really got screwed. Like, but I, I look at it and it's certainly difficult. I mean, away games with Georgia, Tennessee certainly raises an eyebrow. But um, I'm so yeah, Georgia, Tennessee. But home games against Kentucky. I mean, I guess. I don't know. It, like I said to start off the show, I didn't think anything jumped out at me. I said, "Whoa, that's really that's really more difficult than this university or this program." I, I I just didn't see it, and I think anybody that says so at this point is probably looking at that schedule through their fan glasses because I I don't see one where I say, "Oh, that's a cakewalk," or that one's really difficult. There, it just I thought the league did a very uh, admirable job of mixing it up. Now, there were some criteria that they used. And to your point about Auburn having um, Georgia and Alabama on the away slate, they did mention there were certain um, factors used in determining the formula. One of them was that no school will travel to a location it went to the year before and because Auburn's got this weird thing where they're they're either going to Alabama and Georgia or they're hosting in the same year they couldn't really break that up even though this was a perfect opportunity to do so so maybe that'll come down the road when there's a nine game I hope for Auburn's sake that's the case that's the way I felt about it too I was very disappointed that they didn't break that up that's pretty tough there you know if you want to talk about tough schedules going on the road against the two power the two alpha teams in the SEC some of the factors uh traditional opponents that was weighed into it you got Texas at Texas A&M you still have Oklahoma Texas you've got Missouri and Oklahoma and the other thing was balance of schedule strength and that goes back a few years too and that really played a huge part and again, putting the schedule together is is I think they went back. I think they said ten years, two thousand twelve. I thought is that too long? Yes. In college athletics, yes. 
because so there's so much turnover in that time. I feel like that's. I'm wondering if the results would have been different if you have if you had done half that. You know what I mean? Um, I guess that's something we'll never know, and you and I certainly aren't going to do that homework. But. We do have a uh, a guest today on Oklahoma, and, and this thing about going to Oklahoma, fine. You know, we're not talking about Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma team. We're not talking about Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts. We're talking about a team that had a losing record last year. I don't know what they're going to be like in 2024. I don't know if uh, Brent Venables is still going to be coaching Oklahoma. So, you know, so much, well, this, you know, Alabama going to Oklahoma for the first time in years, and and then I think Oklahoma is coming to Auburn. Well, that's fine and dandy, and obviously because t- Alabama and Texas had a home and home, which ends this coming year. I think that's the reason that Texas was not on Alabama's schedule in 2024. But again, and and I, I, look, I don't want to take away from the hype. SEC has got it above everybody else when it comes to hyping and making something look really terrific. Even though we had that negativity a while back about not getting to a nine-game schedule, so when the commentators come on and say, "Yeah, we played Texas in 2012, and what what a series that was," and so forth, you just had to sit there and kind of laugh at it, you know, like, "Okay, that was 10, 10, 12 years ago." And but the matchups look great. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of games on there, which I'm sure TV will salivate on and, and get into prime time and things like that. But when push comes to shove, and again, I'll say this, and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer, but push comes to shove, you don't know what some of these teams are going to look like. And for the life of me, I can't think of anybody that's got a tougher schedule than Vanderbilt. Well, and the, but this is when we go to, are you looking at the schedule or are you looking at who's playing that schedule? So when you start looking at who's playing that schedule, of course... If we didn't have the portal, it'd be a lot easier to know. But with the portal, who knows what we're going to have? Who knows who's going to be around, players coming and going? I think, and I don't remember who said it. It might have been Paul, and we'll, we'll talk about it when we have Paul on today. But uh, I think the biggest thing for Oklahoma and Texas opponents is to, as you point out, get them early because they're not where they're supposed to be right now. Right from a competitive standpoint, that may change by the time the schedule comes out. So you want to get them early in this. But the idea of the, those brands coming to your stadium, like how cool is it for Vanderbilt fans, the the, the thirty seven that there are, that <laughs> that thirty seven <laughs> that Texas is coming to Nashville, right? And I think that's the excitement of all of this is you've got, you know, you've got Alabama going to uh to norman or whatever it is right you have these these different these different programs coming to your arena or you're going to those different places i think it's what is really the exciting part of all this so we're going to talk a lot about it it's pretty much all we're going to talk about for the most part today we want to hear from you the pros and cons of what you saw and look for you guys that and I know this is just the conference opponents, and it'll look a little bit more. It'll look watered down when you see the the other other teams that your team's playing. But for you guys that are proponents of nine games, look at your team's schedule right now and tell me honestly, you want to see another high profile opponent. Like if you don't have Oklahoma, you have Texas. Imagine adding the other to this. Or if you don't have Georgia or Alabama, imagine adding that. Well, Mark, also, besides LSU having on their schedule right now Southern Cal and their kickoff game, UCLA, Florida, I believe it was Florida, they have Miami 
and Florida State in addition to all the teams yeah. they have. And I think they also have Central Florida. So they're almost playing like a round robin as to who the best team is in Florida. Now, this is 2024. 20, uh, and again, look, I like Billy Napier. I've talked to him. I've met him. But I don't know if he's going to be the head coach there. He did not have a really good year. If they can't get better than 6-6 six and six or than they did last year, is he still going to be coaching there? They have quarterback issues. They're trying to find a quarterback. They brought in a transfer from Wisconsin. Things are basically... Uh, I wouldn't say they're going real good right now for the Florida Gators. That could change in a year, but like with that schedule, adding Miami and Florida, you already have Miami and Florida State on that schedule. It's pretty tough. Uh, the other thing that we'll have to, I always look at this in terms of SEC East and SEC West. So there will be no divisions. So keep that in mind. So um, there are a couple of examples in here where traditional SEC West teams got a, a heavy dose of East teams and vice versa. Uh, that'll be a min mindset and a mentality that a lot of us will try to have to drop or lose because it's so ingrained in us to be looking at it from that perspective. But, you, you know, with this thing about Alabama having a tough schedule, they get Al they get Auburn and Georgia at home. I mean, how great is that? Seriously, to get both of those teams at home and especially get Georgia at home in 2024, you go on the road. Yes, you got LSU. Uh, that's always a tough game. Oklahoma, I don't know what Oklahoma is going to be like in two years. Tennessee could be a very good game. And they also go to Vanderbilt. So I, I wouldn't say their schedule is any more difficult or any weaker than any of the other schools with Auburn at home they get arkansas oklahoma texas a&m and vanderbilt that's not bad at all but to go on the road and face alabama and georgia lights out i do think where the the case you, and i haven't looked at each one individually in this term but alabama and i'm not i'm not saying they got shafted in any way but they do play three of the top four teams in the league and the only reason they don't play the fourth is because they already play them in a day but they do have Georgia, LSU, and Tennessee on their schedule. Now, I'll have to go through and see. Now, don't give it, it gets balanced off because they also get Missouri and Vanderbilt. So don't, don't mistake what I'm saying. I'll have to go back here at the break and see how many schools have three of the top four or four because I think it's, it's, it's pretty easy to say that it's Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and LSU in no particular order as the top four programs. How many different programs have three of those four on their schedule or more. Uh, so we'll take a look at that. We'll take your phone calls. Uh, we're going to talk some baseball with Blake Stein coming up at 630. Uh, Paul Feinbaum on the schedule at 7. He was part of the broadcast. Eli Goal will join us at 730. Uh, you mentioned uh, Oklahoma cover coverage. Scott McCutian of Sooner Scoop will join us. And then Justin Ferguson on Auburn and their schedule. We'll have some Chick-fil-A for you today as well, but we're off and running. It's the opening kickoff on what's going to be a very busy Thursday. Scoreboard traffic and weather to get your day started. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Kelnick have reached. And Suarez sends a ball out toward right. Sanchez is at the wall. He leaps and he makes the catch. He took away a grand slam. All right, welcome back in, 625, a real short segment here because we went so long with our first one. 
The uh, segment brought to you by South Alabama Athletics, reminding you the first home game, September 9th, Hancock-Whitney. Tickets available. That was a great catch by Sanchez. It saved the game for the Marlins. One other little note, the uh, U.S. Open opens up today at Los Angeles Country Club. They'll have 156 golfers mark the first tee-off, Central Time, 845 today. All right, so here are the I, I did a quick look at the schedules. Oklahoma and, and to your point, Vanderbilt – are the only other teams other than Alabama that have at least three of what I consider the top four programs in the SEC. Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Tennessee, I think right now are probably, and again, you said it, two years down the line, this may not hold water, but Oklahoma's Alabama, Tennessee, and LSU. Vanderbilt has Alabama, Tennessee, and LSU. So I think those are the toughest schedules, at least, let me rephrase, top-heavy. They're top-heavy. Now, to that point, Texas and Texas A&M, I thought, did pretty well for themselves because Texas only has one of them. They host Georgia. They do not have Alabama, LSU, or Tennessee on their schedule, and Texas A&M has LSU. So, Mark, let me throw this out to you or anybody else. Even though, and I will say this again, I'm in favor of a nine-game schedule. But with all the f- rivalries intact in a schedule like this and the schedule looks so outstanding, why go to nine? Why do we need nine? I mean, if we got we got everything we want, we got all the good rivalries and everything, year to year it'll change, of course. But when you look on paper, who could argue with 2024? Now, of course, in about a month, those guys are all going to have to get together and start raving about 2023 yeah. because they're going to have SEC media days. And first and foremost is this coming year. Well, I've told you from a, a, a league, a conference, a commissioner, an administrative standpoint, there's no reason to go to nine. And I've, I've, I'll, I'll die on that hill uh, uh, for the next few years now. The flip side of that is, if from a fan's perspective, why nine? Because there's always going to be that week late in the season when everybody's playing directional schools uh, and, and all the season ticket holders are not going to the game and all these first-time fans finally get a chance to go to a game and they're, they're eating up all the season ticket uh, holder seats. They're borrowing tickets. Uh, there's, you know, it's that weekend where you know we do it every year where there's just not a really great game this season or this week. That's why you do the ninth game. Uh, it is simply for the fans and no other reason. And as a fan, I don't want to see. Well, money making too. You're going to pull in more money if you have a conference game opposed to your directional schools. How so? Well, I would think you're more guaranteed a sellout. A more of a sellout with the fans coming to the game than staying home and watching the game on TV and not shelling out money for tickets, parking, and merchandise and food. Maybe so, but I still think the Alabamas and and LSU's and Tennessee's. I mean, if you're winning and you're winning big, they'll they'll sell out. It won't be that same group of people buying tickets. But I I, I think that's financially such a small part of a football team's athletic budget. You know whether or not they sell out one game. Um, but I look. All in all, I can't see why. Does anybody have? I guess the question would be: Does anybody have a problem with what we've just talked about with these games? They're incredible. Blake Stein's going to talk some baseball. Paul's going to join us at seven o'clock. We got a lot going on. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP.
632. Welcome back in. The opening kickoff rolling along here on a Thursday edition. Thanks for hanging with us. Mark, that game, after I watched the SEC Network, that game was crazy. The Mets-Yankees, 10 innings. Yankees had a 3-1 lead in the seventh inning. They had a player, Kiner Felita, steal home. A, a real legit steal of home, not like when you had first and third and the throw goes to second. This guy was taking the lead, and the left-handed pitcher for the Mets wasn't paying any attention. So Kiner uh, went down the line uh, looking to steal home, and the pitch was so bad it went back to the backstop, so he gets credit for a steal of home. To that, we bring in our baseball analyst this morning, Blake Stein, former Major League pitcher, now an administrator at McGill Tool. And Blake, good morning. How are you today? I'm great, guys. How are y'all this morning? Wonderful. Uh, because I, I mentioned that, were you ever on the mound when somebody stole home? Uh, no, I never had. But the thing was, I was right-handed, so I was looking right at the runner. So, um, and and whenever I had a guy on third, I always went out of the stretch. So, it made it very difficult for anybody to try to steal home in that situation. So, um, usually when you get a left-hander and they they go out of the windup with the runner on third. Um, and they don't pay any attention, that's when they can really time their uh, lead and get a good job. What also surprised me was usually if you're going to steal home, it's better to have a right-handed batter to kind of block the vision of the catcher, and the uh, the, the Mets had a left-handed batter up there. Or, I'm sorry, the Yankees right. had a left-handed batter up there. And that's, and that's normally true, but if you have a left-hander that's really not paying attention to you, it doesn't really matter if there's a lefty or a righty up there. If you get a good enough jump, it wouldn't matter. We're seeing a lot more steals. Do you know Ronald Acuna now has 29? And to that, the home runs he hit yesterday, is he by far and away, in your mind, the best player in baseball today? Uh, I've always thought that he had that ability to be the best player in baseball. You know, he had some injuries. Um, and, you know, I still don't like all the strikeouts and that sort of thing. But he is um, but he is definitely probably one of the best players in baseball right now. One of the craziest stories to me is the starter for the Braves today, A.J. Smith-Scheuer. He was signed, I think, two years ago. This year, he started out at high A, moved up to double A, moved up to triple A. We're not even halfway through the season, and he's been called up to the majors. Is this too soon? Well, it really depends uh, on the guy. I mean, I, I, I find a lot of value in, in spending your time in the minor leagues. You learn how to deal with, um, you know, when your arm gets tired, when um, you deal with adversity, when you're not pitching well, how to battle through it. And so, you know, if you experience that in the minor leagues and you kind of have an idea of what you need to do to get through it, um, sometimes these guys that, that, you know, blow through the minor leagues and get up there pretty quick, when they start to struggle at the major league level, they have no idea how to deal with it. So, um, that would be one of my biggest concerns, but he obviously has the stuff to be able to pitch up there. Yeah, he's only two years removed from high school, and he wasn't even a – he was a good pitch, but he didn't pitch that much. He was more of a third baseman and, and the quarterback of the high school team, and he was actually committed to go play football somewhere else. And this has been – you talk about a meteorological rise. Uh, he'll be pitching tonight. But, Blake, the real – the main reason I wanted to get you on today, you pitched for Oakland. Yesterday, the Nevada legislature approved uh, a bill that would help fund a new stadium in Las Vegas. All you need now is the governor's signature and MLB owners approving it. I'd like to get your take. How do you feel about this, about this franchise perhaps moving? Well, there's a lot of a lot of history with the, with the A's franchise and, and the World Series and, um, and, and everything that Billy Bean's done with, with the limited uh, resources he has. And so... 
um, it's unfortunate because it's a very, very good fan base. But um, when you look at some of the games, you know, they never wanted to build a new stadium in Oakland. Um, they really needed to. It was a football stadium that they turned into a baseball stadium. Um, and so they really needed something that was up to date to, to get the fans to come back, and, and they never could get that done. And so um, while it's unfortunate that they're moving, I think it was, the, the writing was on the wall when um, when ownership wasn't going to allow, or, or the city, I'm not sure exactly who was uh, in Stonewall and the fact that they needed a new stadium. Was the stadium a big dumpster, as many have said it is, when you played there? And that, that's just it. it it's, it's not a bad stadium, don't get me wrong, but the thing is, it's a football stadium. Um, and so when you have a football stadium that can seat 60 or 70,000 people, and then you're having to cover up the majority of the seats because that's not the capacity for a baseball game, it makes it look empty when you have it when you have a decent fan base and, and it looks empty. But um, And so it, it, it just, they needed something that was baseball specific and not something that, you know, got chewed up later in the season on Sundays when football was out there and they were having the bleachers, and then you're coming back out there to a field that's, you know, not in real good shape. All right, on another subject, to you the most disappointing team so far in Major League Baseball this year? Oof. Um, I'm not even sure. I, I, I don't know. I, it's tough to say because do you have disappointments with um, – you know, with teams because of injuries and, and they're not doing so well or, or the expectations. And, um, you know, I, I'm just. I'll, t- I'll <sighs> give you one. I, this is the one I had. I was kind of curious if you'd mention it. I can't believe the St. Louis Cardinals are mired in fifth place at, what, 27 and 42 with their lineup? Right. I was, I was going to say the Cardinals. Um, they always, even, even when they don't have high expectations, they always seem to, to be. Uh, in the mix uh, of winning their their division and and that sort of thing and so um, you know I think it's it's and then maybe they just have to to come around I mean um, I think the Red Sox are another one that that you look at in last place in their division um, you always expect them to be a little bit higher up um, and so um, I think but those two probably the Red Sox and the, and the Cardinals are historically good teams and, and, and not doing as well as expected. Blake, we appreciate you getting up early with us. Normally, I would just assume you're on your way to work, but you know what they say about teachers and administrators, the three best reasons to, to be in such a line of profession are June, July, and August. Well, you know, some of us do have to work during the summer, and, and, and frankly, I was kind of shocked that you even commented on anything to do with baseball this morning. Um you know, I figured you would want to talk about the NBA Finals or AAU basketball or, or something like that. I just, I was, I thought you were going to take a break this morning. I did. That was my break. It was eight and a half minutes. I kept saying, "No, go longer with Blake. This is scintillating stuff." By the way, I love the uh, the the reverse protest. Uh, that was good stuff. So let me get this straight: uh, a, a, a franchise whose uh, fans didn't come to the games is moving. So the fans said, you know what, we'll, we'll show them. We're going to show up to the games in protest of their protest of our area. It was beautiful. Yeah, maybe you should have done that before they decided to move to show that you were still going to support <laughs> yeah. the team and everything else. And, and, so, and, that, and that's the, the, the problem. It, it, it's really not that the fans aren't there. The fans are really, um, they have very good fans there. 
but it, it's like every other you know organization. Um, you know, Atlanta's built three stadiums in, in 50 years. Yeah. Um, and, and Oakland, they can't get them to build one, even in the San Jose area or or, or somewhere around Oakland where they, they've always been. And it, it's just a shame because they really need something that is baseball-specific that would, would uh, service the, the team and the fans. Well, enjoy the rest of your day, sir, and I'll always good to catch up with you. Thanks for having me, guys. Yep, that's Blake Stein, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you guys can jump in on the whole uh, SEC schedule. We've, we're going to spend a majority of our time talking about it. Paul's going to join us at 7 o'clock, Eli Gold at 7.30. Scott McCutcheon, Sooner Scoop, covers Oklahoma at 8 o'clock, and Justin Ferguson on Auburn at 8.30. So let's uh, – I tell you what, well, this might be a, – it's a little early, but why don't we go ahead and break now and give us more time to talk about the schedule when we come back. You guys can jump in. I've made the argument, and it's not a, the the toughest schedules – Oklahoma, Vandy, and Alabama. Least toughest. I won't even say easy because I don't think that's a thing. Texas and Texas A&M. I'll explain why when we come back. The opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station WNSP. My name is Sherman Williams, former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys. And I wake up each morning listening to WNSP 105.5. I can be much better, but you need to still sacrifice yourself. But uh, basketball is not the main thing in my life. Uh, it's uh, something that um, I'm good at. I'm just happy that as a team, you know, individuals, if I'm an individual, I'm going to play some other sport, of course. I got news for everybody out there. We're not satisfied with one. We want more. We want more. It's almost like Nick was listening to Blake Stein throwing in a little NBA finals. By the way, do you see where Nikola Jokic lost the MVP trophy? To who? He doesn't know where it is. The 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 NFL NFL the NBA Finals a, MVP yeah. did he leave a return address? No, he said he left it with uh like I, a. I heard that it was found. Oh, they did find it. Yeah, and the equipment manager was cleaning it off for the parade today. Okay, so he said he had left it with the equipment manager, and it, he came back or something, and it was gone. Like there was this quote, but thank goodness. Well, the way things are getting auctioned off, you got to wonder if somebody took it and was going to auction it off. I Clean saw where Michael Jordan's. Yeah shoes that he wore in the so-called flu game sold for over a million dollars uh, this week. Hey, I do want to mention you heard the voice leading into us about the team of the day, and that's bachelor service, and they check so many boxes. You know, Rick True and his crew, what a job they do. Let me tell you that they offer plumbing services. I'm sure you're well, well aware of that. They have a full complement of air purification products. They've got house generators in stock. They offer energy savings maintenance agreements for heating and air conditioning and generators, and they still have that ongoing $79 per system tune-up special. When I say they check the boxes, you got it. Rick True and Bachelor Service can be reached at 476-4321, or you can visit them at bachelorservice.com. They are our team of the day every Thursday. They'll be with us the entire year. And all their new Daikin installations come with a 12-year parts and labor warranty. They also sell and install 
uh, whole house standby generators, which we've talked about. But to that, I say check with them because sometimes they do run out because people do take a run on those. So do check out before you go if that's what you're in the mood for. But nevertheless, uh, thank you to Rick True and Bachelor Service. All right, you guys can jump in here at 694-1055. want to let you know about an event coming up as well Uh on Saturday, it's the uh, it's a fish fry at Medal of Honor Park. The proceeds benefit the family of the fallen for uh, for police officers in the area. Uh, they're serving meals from 11 a.m. to 2. Meals are $12. They include fried fish uh, with potato salad, coleslaw, baked beans. You get a sweet treat. You can add a beverage. Take out, eat in. Uh, I'll put some information in the app for you guys, but... This is all all proceeds to benefit Family of the Fallen, so really a worthwhile event. We encourage you to uh, to attend if you can. Uh, it's all for a great cause. The uh, schedule that we've talked about, you remember a couple of weeks ago it came out, it was reported that Nick Saban was against the nine-game schedule because he didn't want to have to face LSU, Tennessee, and Auburn. Guess what? They put all three on Alabama's schedule. They do host uh, Auburn. And they do visit Tennessee and LSU, so he couldn't escape all that. Yeah, so that was really, when I started trying to look at strength of schedule, or lack thereof, there's no easy way to do it, because I think the SEC did a fairly good job of balancing uh, that off. But what I did was I looked at who I consider to be the top four teams or programs today. That's Alabama, LSU, Tennessee, in Georgia, not in that order, obviously. And so, how many of those opponents do you have on your schedule? And I might have missed one here, but Alabama, Oklahoma, and Vanderbilt have three of the four opponents on their schedule. So, I would deem those to be three of the more treacherous schedules. Um, and Texas and Texas A&M, by the way, only have one of each. So if I'm Texas, I'm a little ticked off that, or if I'm Oklahoma, I'm a little ticked off that Texas uh, seemed to get a little bit of a pass there. Uh, now again, they balance out, so I ain't all that mad. But even even uh, I think Tim Tebow, even Tim Tebow last night called Oklahoma's schedule a gauntlet. Um, but Alabama. But still, there's only one team that has to go to Alabama and Georgia. I was hoping, for Auburn's sake, they could break that up. They couldn't. I was hoping. Look, I want them to still play those two teams, but I was hoping they'd get one at home and one on the road. So those are two games that are big question marks. In 2024, when they go on the road with Alabama and Georgia, the only other school that faces both Alabama and Georgia, unless I missed it, was Tennessee. They get one at home. They get one on the road. So, again, we're talking about the alpha programs. Yeah, if you want to put LSU in there, that's fine. But to me, right now, Alabama and Georgia, at least going into this season, are still the alpha programs. Everybody's saying, well, if Alabama can find a quarterback – Well, same thing with Georgia. They don't have a starting quarterback coming in either. But to play them both on the road is a difficult task, as Auburn has found out the last couple of years. They do escape LSU. LSU is not on their schedule, which I'm going to guess, Mark, they were hoping they would be. That's been a great rivalry over the years. uh, Yeah, I just think that was probably the victim of all the uh, protocols they used to try to put this thing together. Uh, And... To my point about balancing, yes, I agree with you about Alabama and Georgia. No team should have to play them uh, at the you know 
home or away in 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 uh, every year. And Alabama's is tough. But to my point about them balancing, both Alabama and Auburn have Vanderbilt and Missouri. So, like I said, I do think the league did a, a pretty good job of, of of balancing all of this out. I mean, unless of course you're Vanderbilt, where you ain't got a shot, right, regardless exactly. of who you yeah, play. We put them aside. You you almost feel like you should just load Vanderbilt up because they ain't gonna make a difference anyway. Well, that's the school now that's really got to go out and look for directional schools to play, <laughs> or let's say programs that more in line with their academics. But I what I what I love about this, and I think most of you agree, what 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 we love about this is just to see the different. The variety, right? Like it's cool to see Florida go into Austin. I mean, it's not something you would you would think of saying. You know what? We haven't seen what would really be a great idea. You know, and I'm just using it as a random example. But Florida at Texas. But when you see that finally on paper and it's official, you're like, man, that could be a that could be a pretty cool environment, right? And and all these teams that have Texas coming to your program, and that was a I think a point that was made yesterday was. These are two huge brands, especially Texas, regardless of whether they're up or down. So to have Texas come to your place is a win, regardless of whether or not they're any good. So, you know, for obviously that Texas-Arkansas game is going to be a huge one. That's, that's a throwback to the Southwest Conference. Um, Texas-Texas A&M is going to be the biggest game. Alabama-Georgia is the biggest game in the, in the, on the schedule, period. As of right now, period. But I tell you what, Texas, Texas A&M is going to be a lot of fun because that one is going to be a bloodbath between those two teams. I wonder what went into the uh, decision to have that game at Kyle Field instead of going to Texas. Uh, I'm not, I don't know the particulars. You'd have to get somebody, I guess, who put the schedule together. But that's certainly a big advantage to Texas A&M. And right, I agree with you. Obviously, Alabama, Georgia would loom as the game. But Texas at Texas A&M is going to be a bloodbath. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that one's just going to be nasty. You know, there's some rivalries. We talk about how some rivalries are respectful, at least among the players. Now, I, I, these two teams have been going back and forth for years. That one's going to be a lot of fun to watch. We, you talk about games where you don't necessarily have a horse in the, in, in the race or a dog in the hunt or use what animal you want to use. That one, to me, has the uh, – has – Everything you want in a college football game. That one needs to be Saturday primetime television right there. Yeah, not the 11 a.m. game. And and to go back, uh, Joe Castiello, the uh, AD at Oklahoma, one of the reasons he wanted to get out of the uh, uh, his conference, the, the Big 12, was when they stuck his big game. I forgot who it was. Was it Nebraska or whatever? They put him on at 11 a.m., and he was really ticked off about that because he wanted primetime, 2.30 or at nighttime. Well, he's got quite the uh, schedule coming up in 2024, and obviously it'll be a lot easier for Oklahoma to sell tickets when you have home games against uh, the likes of, uh, well, uh, Alabama, uh, South Carolina, Tennessee. And and let's not overlook that Tennessee game because Tennessee's uh, coach right now used to quarterback Oklahoma. Yeah, that's that's going to be with Heupel going back to Oklahoma. Uh, I think that one will be um, and I probably w- Oklahoma's biggest, I don't know, biggest one. But also Mississippi State and Florida play each other. That's kind of whole Scott Strickland. There's a little bit of a, 
of a relationship there. So there's some there's some intriguing games that may not get national appeal, but there's some there's some really good ones in there. I would say the SEC did its homework very diligently in trying to piece together. You may find another game here. Like I said, the only one that sticks out to me is LSU not being on Auburn's schedule, but Auburn's got it tough anyway going on the road. I, I don't know how Auburn feels about it. Maybe when we get to Justin Ferguson at 830, who covers Auburn, we can ask him, is that such a big deal, that LSU? But that's been a great series over the years. Uh, so here's here's an, uh, another question we can try to tackle in the next couple hours. You mentioned 8 verse 9. So if you could add a team to your team's schedule that's out today, who would it be and why? So we you mentioned that. Man, it's a shame that Auburn doesn't play LSU. But would Auburn really want to play LSU after having Alabama and Georgia? I think they and would. I think they would. You still think real, they want to add them? I, I think they would, but it would be a home game, at least now, because they go on the road. You don't want to play all three on the road. So that would be my guess because it's been a longstanding rivalry, and the games have been really competitive to be. Now, what about Alabama? Who would be, a, who'd be one that – you'd want to stick in there as the ninth game. Uh, I think a lot of people talked about Mississippi State being that game for geographic purposes. I think that's a little bit of a gimme there. So then you would – so I don't know if that's the one. Again, from an admin standpoint, give me Mississippi State. From a fan standpoint? Texas. Texas. But they're already on the schedule this year, so that's why they're not uh, on. But I'd like to maybe see Texas. Florida? Well, I'd like to see Texas because of the Manning deal and Sarkeesian being there. But we get them this year anyway, so we don't have to wait very long for that. Yeah. And even Nick Saban said when he went to uh, Texas last year, it was like playing in an SEC game. All right. Paul Feinbaum, he was really busy last night. We'll catch up with him next. Eli Gold in hour number two as well. We'll talk Auburn in hour number three with Justin Ferguson and also Scott McCushin at 8 o'clock on Sooner, of Sooner Scoop on the schedules. Your comments in the app at WNSP.com. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Lee, Triple G, right here on the Sports Station. Stay with us. On the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Welcome in, hour number 
two here on our post-SEC schedule reveal show here on WNSP. So let's get right to one of the uh, commentators yesterday because he was on the show for the better part of an hour and certainly had a lot of opinions on the 2024 schedule. Mr. Paul Feinbaum from the SEC Network, ESPN. Paul, many thanks for joining us this morning. How are you today? Doing great. Uh, Lee, thank you very much. Did uh, Nick ever get that drink you suggested? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I had a lot. You know, it was, it was a throwaway line that uh, obviously your colleague decided to uh, to, to disseminate. But <laughs> I, I think you know some people have asked me, you know, why do why would you say that? But the reason I said that is that Saban did not want that schedule. He uh, he made it very clear a few months ago that was his, uh, that was his objection to the new three six. Uh, schedule, which would have been nine games. He didn't want to see Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee on the schedule, and he got it. Let me ask you this. Uh, let's go back a few weeks, and you, you alluded to this anyway during your comments about the, the negativity that came out of the Sandestin meetings, the fact that they didn't go to nine and they were going to stay with eight. Yet in lieu of what was quite frankly a, a terrific PR show yesterday for ballyhooing the 2024 do you think this is negate this is going to negate in any way shape or form going to nine games down the road no i don't i think this was really more about next year and because of the circumstances uh, the sec you know chose this 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 exit ramp to go to uh, the, the expansion but no I, I think they're still interested in it uh, i think that will be taken care of I think, in a way, though, the SEC did answer its critics very, very effectively, and they were loud, uh, they were boisterous, they were personal, uh, and it really that conversation ended immediately when we saw Alabama uh, hosting Georgia next year. I mean, that's the game of the year, and, and it also negates the conversation about the CFP because those are the two most prominent SEC teams in relation to the college football playoff. Uh, they played for the national championship twice now since 2017. And they, uh, the SEC gets the best game of the year in college football. And it also gets a game that, quite frankly, if you lose, probably is not going to affect your standing very much. Well, and uh, I heard you say that yesterday. And I thought it was a great point because it was something that we talked about last week when we were talking about 8 versus 9. And my point from an administrative standpoint is until someone can – can tell the league or a college football playoff committee member can say, you're not getting this team in because you didn't play enough conference games. I, I think that's kind of to your point. The quality of those conference games certainly outweighs the quantity of them. Yeah, and I think that's what you get when you see uh, Texas and Oklahoma. And, and the SEC in the, in, the, in the four previous expansions have really not had that. Uh, I mean, A&M was a marquee destination point. But the other three were, were good, uh, depending on the circumstances, but they were more regional games. If, you, if you're going to Norman, Oklahoma, or have Oklahoma coming to you in the same yeah. with Texas, that's a big deal. And I, I think that's what, what the SEC really emphasized last night. The, the Alabama-Georgia game overshadowed that uh, but because, of, uh, because of the obvious. Uh, and, and we don't really know where we'll be. I mean, we, we may – that situation, I mean, Alabama perhaps would have beaten Georgia this year in the SEC championship game and or the, or the other way around, but it's still going to be a massive game. And, and this was the point some people were try, have been trying to make for two weeks while others went scorched earth against Greg, Greg Sankey. 
and I, I didn't, uh, Mark, I didn't know what the schedule was going to be, uh, but I felt very comfortable knowing, know, knowing the commissioner and knowing the people that run this league that they were not going to sit back idly, uh, that they were going to use the computer to come up with an equitable schedule. And then uh, whatever discretion they had, uh, they, could use it, they could use that to adjust, and I think that's exactly what we saw you'd last be, night. You'd be hard-pressed, really, to, to find any fault with what they did, and obviously with the hype and the analysts and everything, everybody was really geared up for this. Uh, I looked at uh, you know maybe splitting up Auburn's two road games, maybe going home with Alabama and on the road to Georgia. I felt maybe they was I was hoping for Auburn's sake they could do that. Is there any fault you found, or and let's say not fault so much, but any game you would have liked to have seen that wasn't on the schedule? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there are a handful of games that, that for, for those of us who have lived most of our lives in Alabama, are, are going to miss. Number one, I think it's it's Auburn LSU. Uh, that has always been one of the biggest games on, on Auburn's schedule. But after a while, uh, you've got Alabama Auburn, you got Alabama Georgia, so it's no better than third. But yeah, the epic games have always happened there. I think there's some disappointment uh, in, in Starkville today, uh, you know, disappointment and relief, but, you know, Alabama and Mississippi State are practically uh, on the same spot on the map. I mean, I realize there's, there's, uh, there's an hour and a half difference, but, uh, but you know, that's, a, that's an easy trip. Uh, that game's off the board. Uh, I would think, uh, you know, Sam Pittman's got to be counting his, his lucky stars right now. He doesn't have to see Alabama next year that has always been a game that has derailed arkansas but uh i can't tell you that there's a there's a game that that is that that's glaring um when you when you're down to you know what actually what what games did we miss uh, i don't think we missed very many you you mentioned the one i did lsu and auburn i thought it was the only game that i thought was really missing but obviously based with Auburn going on the road like they are. Let me ask you this, and I find it amusing. I really do, because, you know, two years from down the road with transfer portal, we don't know who's going to be quarterbacking. We don't even know if some of these guys will still be coaching, right? So when they ask and they bring up, well, they got the toughest schedule, why does nobody ever mention Vanderbilt with the toughest schedule? Well, that's true, because if, you, if you're Vanderbilt, that means uh, – you're at the bottom uh, looking up, and Alabama and Georgia are at the top looking down. Somebody made a point the other day, Lee, that, uh, you know, why, why do we keep talking about Georgia having the easiest schedule this year? And I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about the Oklahoma factor, that, that they were on the schedule and had to get knocked off. But Georgia doesn't have Georgia on the schedule. Like, Alabama doesn't have Alabama. I know that sounds uh, juvenile to some people, but it does matter from a strength of schedule standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I looked at, the, we were talking about it earlier, I looked at, all the schedules this morning, and and I, I figure Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and LSU are probably your four best teams as of today. Obviously, that'll change. Only three teams have three of those four on their schedule. That's Alabama, Oklahoma, and Vanderbilt. And Texas and Texas A&M only have one of them. I think the one thing that uh, – exactly. I think the one thing we really didn't have time for last night uh, was the non-conference schedules next year, and, and they are massive. I think LSU has USC on the schedule, yeah, and UCLA, uh, and UCLA, yeah, yeah and UCLA. Uh, Georgia, by the way, plays Clemson next year in the opening game. Alabama goes to Wisconsin. So, it, if you're thinking about Alabama here, uh, second week of the year, you've got a game at Wisconsin, and you know by then Luke Fickle ought to have that program 
uh, churning. And, and now I'm guessing right now uh, that the Georgia game is probably going to be late September, early October. That you just can't put that game too late. Uh, so, so Alabama will then have Georgia at home, uh, and fairly soon afterwards, go, they'll, they'll end up going to Tennessee, and then three weeks later, probably uh, LSU. I mean, that that is a, a great. Uh, by the way, I, for, I forgot the uh, the Oklahoma game has to be in there somewhere. Well, I don't even know where you put that. That that's a really difficult schedule. I don't care who you are. Uh, and, 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 no, and I'm not certain where Alabama will be a year from now. I think they'll be in really good shape. But, uh, but, but here's the other side of that, and I think we have to start getting conditioned to this, Mark. If Alabama loses a couple of games, so what? Uh, with, that, with, with Alabama's schedule next year, or Georgia's schedule, 9-3 and three will get you in the playoffs. You mentioned yeah. a few times during the uh, the telecast, and I think others did too, well, you know, we don't know who Alabama's quarterback, but nobody ever references Georgia. Who's their quarterback? Yeah. Nobody ever mentions the fact that they're going with a brand new. I know it's going to be Carson Beck at least to start, but we don't know anything about him. No, we don't, and you're right. Uh, we've seen uh, plenty of quarterbacks uh, fade at Georgia, but it just it just seems a little more likely that that he's going to be comfortable in that position for a year or so, and then he's got a pretty big. Uh, you know, they got the number one quarterback in the country coming in next year, but that doesn't matter. You're right, uh, Lee. Uh, that that's just a that, that's a that's a temporary problem right now in college football because Alabama and Georgia, if they don't have quarterbacks, should be able to go go out and pick up somebody uh, from the ACC, uh, like like Notre Dame and 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 Kentucky did this year. You know, they, they, Notre Dame and Kentucky got the second and third best quarterbacks in the ACC last year uh, in the tra- in the transfer portal. I am glad you brought up LSU because I, I know it was not. Uh, documented much, you, you pretty well not you, but the, the when they did the stuff yesterday on the uh, one hour show, they pretty well stuck to the conference schedule. But LSU, to me, in 2024, on paper right now, as the most difficult overall schedule when you add UCLA and Southern Cal. But then let's look at Florida because people were saying, you know, how difficult their schedule is in the conference. They also play Miami and Florida State outside the conference. Yeah, that starts to become an issue if you look at Billy Napier and go, okay, well, if he goes six and six this year, which might be considered good, uh, you know, next year he's in a critical situation. But it is—I I don't know. I mean, I had a few people uh, uh, slap back at me for for being overly excited last night, but it just felt so different. Uh, you know, you go back to media days, guys, with with the uh, Texas Oklahoma thing two years ago, but but last night it was reality uh, and. I, I'm not. I'm not looking past the season. We haven't even gotten to the, to, to the opening of camp yet. We haven't even gotten to media days. But but next year is going to be a paradigm shift like we have never seen before in college football, especially in the the SEC and the Big Ten. Well, I I think to your point, Paul. I just think some of the some of the matchups that you generally don't that that don't you don't think of off the top of your head became more of a reality. You're like, man, that's really cool. Like Georgia going to the Grove, man, that's just going to be a cool weekend for Ole Miss fans or reliving that Southwest, uh, uh, conference yeah. deal with Texas and Arkansas. Uh, you got Florida and Mississippi State going at it, which doesn't seem real sexy, but you got that whole Scott Strickland thing. It, it just, it had that man, NCAA basketball tournament bracket. Let's see who we can pit against one another for personality purposes. Feel to it. And, and, Mark, I mean, this is right up your alley. Let's just say our, our Oklahoma has a bad season this year. Yeah. Which they could. Uh, 
uh, and Tennessee is flying high. You're taking Josh Heupel yeah. into Norman, Oklahoma next year. Yeah. And here's a guy that Bob Stoops fired. <laughs> and, uh, and he's one of the, I mean, I'm not going to say Josh Heupel is one of the best quarterbacks in, in Oklahoma history because they've had, what, two or three Heisman winners in the last couple of years. But he, he, is, he is highly remembered because he won a national championship. And none of those other guys who won the Heisman and went first in the draft did. Uh, so uh, that, that, that will be fascinating. I, I, a game that none of us probably care about, but I've been to both places. And Oklahoma, Missouri used to be a, a battleground. They, they, yeah. they put that one on the schedule. Um, but there are, I mean, there's still, I mean, you, but you can't get to everyone. Uh, I was probably most surprised by Florida LSU playing again because uh, Florida has been complaining about that game for about 20 years. Let me ask you this, Paul. <laughs> Obviously, the Alabama-Georgia game looms largest with Texas, Texas A&M second. Do you know what went on uh, behind the scenes or, or why they staged that game at Texas A&M instead of at Texas? I'm just kind of curious with the dynamics with those two schools. Uh, this mostly comes from A&M friends of mine. Um, but if you remember, uh, A&M was hopping mad about that. And then, uh, I mean, I mean, it, it was a chance when you know, that, that story broke on a Wednesday night. By Friday, uh, the, the tempers, I'm going back two years, the tempers were boiling. And then on Saturday afternoon, I remember the Texas A&M president uh, came out in favor of the SEC. I'm, I'm guessing... <laughs> You guys can probably guess as well as I could that that the conference said, "Listen, what can you know? Is there anything we can do?" <laughs> and and I think what uh, you know what they end up doing is saying, well, "Why don't we have the first game there?" Now, one thing I will say, if you remember going back two years ago, how mad everybody was that they weren't in the loop on Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, hardly, I mean, nobody knew about that. Uh, you found out uh, yesterday morning why nobody knew about that because. Almost every schedule got leaked, and what it proved, and this is great for guys like Mark, but there are no secrets anymore in college sports. So uh, let's give Greg Sankey a little credit for not telling anyone uh, what was going on there because it would have gotten out. Paul, great stuff as always, man. It's been a fun week with the schedule reveal, all that good stuff. I'm sure your show is going to be popping today. Thanks for the time. Have a great weekend. We'll do it again soon. A pleasure, guys. Thank you. Yep, that's Paul Feinbaum, ladies and gentlemen. Give him a follow on Twitter at Feinbaum. Uh, scoreboard traffic and weather. Let's let's get rid of the scoreboard because we already know all the news that we need to know. Uh, and we're going to catch up with Roy Hudson when we come back. Eli Gold at 7.30. Uh, we got a busy, busy show for you here on a Thursday edition. Uh, we'll take your calls at some point as well. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Lee, Triple G, right here on the Sports Station WNSP. former Major League Baseball player Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5. Love every minute of it. There's a deep drive to center. Way back. Fire away, big boy. Off the batter's eye. You want to adjust that stat now? Fire away, big boy. That's what I'm going to start telling Lee every time we come back in. Welcome back in. It's the opening kickoff. Mark, Nick, and Lee. Hey, Lee, fire away, big boy. I think that was uh, Reiner Lacuna's 461-foot home run yesterday in the second game of the Braves' doubleheader win over the Detroit Tigers. I'm going to fire away now with uh, Roy Hudson of Community Bank. Roy, good morning. How are you today? 
I'm doing well. Good morning, Landmark. Hope y'all are doing well this morning. Yeah, 461 feet. That's a blast. I'd say it you is. Fire away on that. What'd you, th- <laughs> what'd you think about the 2024 Auburn schedule that still has road games at Georgia and Alabama, but no LSU on the schedule? Yeah, we were lucky enough to substitute LSU with Oklahoma. So is that a win? I don't know. I think it's still very tough. It's uh, it's going to be the same old grinding schedule, SEC West schedule that Auburn's been accustomed to uh, the last several years. So it'll be a challenge for sure. Obviously, Alabama and Georgia, that's uh, almost start the season putting an L there. But uh We'll see when we play the games. But it's going to be very difficult for sure. 2024, you've got home games with Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt. If somebody offered you two tickets for just one of those games, which one would you want? Uh, you know what? I'd probably want to go see Oklahoma play, to be honest with you. So I, I think that would do it. We don't need tickets to get into Community Bank. Why should we come? No, we're always open. We're here to help uh, all the people that are your listeners and our customers, so we invite everybody in. It's a friendly staff, very experienced. That's the one thing we pride ourselves in. We've got a lot of experienced bankers, seen a lot of different changes in the market, what's going on with interest rates, and obviously yesterday was a big day, speaking of interest rates, with the Fed leaving it alone. I think that's the first time in 15 months they didn't move it, so we just invite everybody in to tell you, if you have something going on, come talk to one of our experienced bankers and let us help you. Does everybody smile as much as you do? Every time I've come into your office, you get that huge smile on your face. That's that's because we love Community Bank and we love helping people. So most of our people are are very uh, outgoing and personable, and and, uh, we do a lot of vetting when we hire somebody about that. So, yes, we love helping our people, so we're just happy to do it. Hey, Roy, thanks for everything, man. We appreciate it. We'll be in touch. All right, thank you. Want to let you guys know, so kind of my – criteria for whether or not it's a tough or not a tough schedule is based on the the number of the four top opponents in the league uh and and jordan on twitter reached out to me i missed one lsu does not have you were talking about lsu being kind of a tough schedule because of their non-conference schedule added to it right but i would say those teams have notoriety they're not necessarily good teams southern cal's a good team UCLA is not. Not right now. They have a uh, obviously a, a tradition, but no, you're right. But so, Southern Cal is a very good but team. LSU has Alabama, but they don't have Georgia or Tennessee. So they, to me, they avoid three of the top four teams. So I would put I would clump LSU in there with Texas and Texas A and M. With as teams that avoided potential landmines. Well, you got that Ole Miss is a home game, and that's always been kind of a, a tough I love game. that game, by the way. Yeah, I do. And, and it's been a traditional game, and I'm glad they kept that on the schedule. You have Oklahoma, but I, I can't sit here and tell you what Oklahoma's going to be like in two years. They're coming off a disastrous season last year. Maybe they turn it around in another year, and maybe they're a formidable opponent. We kind of think Texas will be. So then they go on the road. They go to Arkansas, which has always been a tough game for LSU. Florida, 
I don't know what Florida is going to be like in two years. Right now, they're kind of, you know, walking on water in a sense. So we don't know which way they're going to go with that program. South Carolina will not have Rattler as their quarterback, I don't think. I, I would think his eligibility may be used up by them, but may not. And any and Texas A&M, always a tough game. So, you know, from that state, if you're going by your criteria, I understand what you're saying. But like I said, when I said LSU schedule, I'm only talking about adding the non-conference Southern Cal and their opening game and then UCLA and I'll put in a I'll put in a bid for South Alabama who knows <sighs> okay when we come back the voice of the Crimson Tide Eli Gold uh, is set to join us we'll talk Oklahoma at 8 o'clock with Scott McCutcheon a Sooner Scoop and Justin Ferguson on Auburn at 8.30 continue with your comments on the app at WNSP.com it's the opening kickoff Right here on the sports station, WNSP. Potential bad weather. Did you have bad weather yesterday? No, not at all. I didn't either. Not at all. But we were prepared for it because everybody kept talking about it. But apparently we're going to have another round of... uh, So be ready. Be prepared. Better to be prepared for nothing than not than unprepared for everything or well, something. I'm sure Eli Gold is getting prepared for the upcoming football season. He can't wait. This segment brought to you by Dex Imaging. Our good friend is Eli Gold. Good morning, sir. How are you today? I am well. Gentlemen, good morning to you. Did you tune in the SEC Network last night? Uh, actually, no. I did uh, see the results of the new schedule uh, You know, as soon as it came out because it was on my phone, but I didn't get a chance to... Uh, tune in on the TV, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, everybody's got some good and some good and some bad. I love the fact that Georgia is coming to Tuscaloosa. Uh, I think that's a, that's a great way to start things. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that was nice to see. It sure was. What else did you take away from <laughs> what was brought out yesterday? What was uh, produced as far as the schedule for 2024, Eli? What, what jumped out at you besides that game? Well, I think what jumped out, too, is that everybody is going to play everybody. You know, in in the first couple of years, uh, everybody's going to play the new teams and what have you. So uh, I think that's what was the intent of this approach, and uh, I think they nailed it. Uh, you know, some teams have an easier path, I believe. Some don't, but... Uh, I think the fact that everybody's going to play everybody, you know, uh, is is important uh, for the fans and for the players. You got Oklahoma in 2024 on the road. Can you uh, conjure up memories of the last time he did an Alabama Oklahoma game? You know, I I know I've I've done some. I've been there, and obviously, uh, you know, there there have been plenty. It's uh, 
you know, every time you get two schools like that together, uh, it, it's almost an instant classic. So, uh, you know, that's what the SEC is all about now. Uh, everything is, <coughs> excuse me, everything is going to be an instant classic. We are talking to the voice of the Alabama Crimson Tide football. That's Eli Gold. Also, even though you don't have Texas on the schedule 2024, you do have them this year. And I think you can recall doing a Texas-Alabama game a few years ago, which was pretty significant. Oh, sure, a national championship game at the uh, Rose Bowl. You know, that was uh, always, and that was not the Rose Bowl game. It was Rose Bowl Stadium, but uh, that was that was huge. And, of course, uh, you know, most recently the Tide played uh, the Longhorns. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, that's, you don't see that in other conferences. Uh, you don't see those, that magnitude of contest in other conferences. So, uh, you know, that's why it just means more in the SEC. I hate to use that, 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 that cliche, but boy, oh boy, I mean, every week there's some huge game, and that's what the Southeastern Conference is all about. Getting back to Georgia, Alabama. Thinking back to yeah. the overtime win, uh, two is long past. Is that maybe the most iconic call you've ever made in a game? I would guess so. I would guess so. There, there have been some others as well. Uh, you know, there have been some others as well. But as far as one single call that came out of nowhere, because obviously we didn't know that that play was going to happen after the the sack. Uh, on the previous play, uh, yeah, that was probably, uh, you know, heck, they even used it on the opening of the telecast uh, this past year uh, for the playoffs. You know, there's, uh, you know, Tua and, and, and Devontae. Uh, it's, that was spectacular. And, yeah, I, I think that probably is the single most – well, you know, I guess it takes everybody has their thoughts. You know, the 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 block by uh, by Terrence Cody against Tennessee. You know, some people are going to side with that and so on. But for me, yeah, that 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 game-winning play uh, in the in the championship game, I, I can't see getting any bigger than that. He's Eli Gold, the voice of the Crimson Tide. He joins us here on WNSP. More than anything, I, I feel like since that show broadcast yesterday, as much as we like to talk about is this a good game or is this a, a, a competitive game, to me it's it's more about the different brands maybe meeting for the first time in a long time. And I think that's what Oklahoma and Texas bring. It's just anybody that's going to play Oklahoma – whether it's home or away, or Texas for that matter, it's just that brand that they haven't seen in a while. I'm curious, you've been around college football for a long time. Is there a certain program or brand that you would like to go see, whether whether you're calling a game or just go see as a fan that maybe you've never had an opportunity to see? Well, you know, I, I have been to this venue but it was when I was a kid. My dad took me, uh, and that was Mikey Stadium at the West Point. Uh, that would be, you know, there's something special about the service academies yeah. and, of course, West Point, the Army. Uh, that would be a, a spectacular setting. 
Uh, I don't know if Alabama's going to play the Army in any time soon, <laughs> but uh, that to me would be one of the uh, that whole that whole day up there. I remember uh, on the parade grounds, all the cadets come, you know, marching in and so on, and not. In some regards, unlike what we see at Texas A&M, when we go up, uh, when we go over there for uh, for football, but yeah, that would be an interesting one um, because you know Mikey Stadium, a beautiful setting right on the Hudson River. Uh, I think that would be neat to be part of uh, as a as a broadcaster, uh, despite the fact that I was technically there when I was I don't know six or eight or ten years old. Something like that. You know what? My parents did the same thing with me. Took me to Mikey Stadium. It was my first college football game ever, as you said, on the banks of the Hudson. Maybe one of the most iconic settings anywhere in anybody's business, and I've heard others say that too. When I went, Dawkins and Anderson were running wild for Army. Do you remember anything about the game you saw? I don't. I don't remember anything about the game. I remember that I was there. And I remember that uh, the seats were not that great. Uh, they were right off, they were right down on field level. Uh, but, you know, we were there. We had a great time. We, uh, we, we did go and watch all the, all the pageantry. But uh, to tell you that I remember anything about the game, I'd be lying to you. You got quite a schedule in 2024 because you also have Wisconsin on your schedule, too. But, of course, I don't want to get too far removed from 2023 and that second game of the year, which is being ballyhooed as one of the key games of the year, that Texas game. Yeah, it's going to be great, obviously. And then that was how it was ballyhooed, you know, when the tide went to, um, you know, to Austin as well. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be huge. And, again, that's, you know, that's what this is all about. That's why they have changed the schedule. That's why they're changing, you know, making everything all that more important. So, yeah, it's going to be huge. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, that's why you play them. And that's why you're in the South. Eastern Conference, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a, a ton of fun. It really is. I don't know if we've had a chance to ask this of you, because I know you just joined us in a couple months ago or a couple weeks ago, uh, about going from 4 to 12 in the college football playoffs. Well, we haven't discussed it, and uh, you know, it, to me it doesn't matter, because whether it's been 4 or whether it's going to be 12, uh, Alabama's always been part of it, or darn near always been part of it. Uh, I, I do see where other schools like the idea. It lets them participate where heretofore they've not been able to. But uh, no, I. Uh, it, to me, it really, it, it really doesn't matter. Uh, you know, because it's you know Alabama is one of the haves. And, you know, whether it's 12 or 4 or, or 104, you know, the tide's going to be involved. So, uh, to me, it matters not. Dex Imaging, I'm sure they had a role yesterday in churning out some of the releases, uh, and we never seem to have a problem with them on the schedule. No, they're always on the schedule. As a matter of fact, you're, you're exactly right. At one point uh, last night, uh, even though I get stuff electronically, uh, you know, all of a sudden my, my machine started going. Here came copies. Here came press releases. Here came everybody's schedule, composite schedules, and so on. 
and I knew I was going to get everything I needed because my machine, my Kyocera, is from Dex Imaging. And I even had a chance to play a little bit yesterday at the computer, and I used some features that I hadn't used in all these years. I kind of created some letterhead, even though I have letterhead. I created some letterhead because it was built into the computer, and it was just some neat stuff. And why? Because it is DEX imaging. They give you not just the basics, they give you everything you need. And I'll tell you folks, it makes for a great, it makes for an easy job for you. Regardless of what you're needing, you can just push a button or two and DEX imaging has you covered. Remember the name DEX, D-E-X, DEXimaging.com. And you'll see them everywhere in the world of sports. They're located in every ball game. They're on every broadcast. You can't beat them. Good folks, local people there in Mobile area and here in Birmingham and wherever you are, check them out. Dex Imaging. Hey, Eli, thanks so much, man. Uh, have a great weekend, and we look forward to doing it again soon. Likewise, fellas. Take care. See ya. That's Eli Gold, the voice of the Crimson Tide. We're going to catch up with Dave McCrary at LCM Motorcars uh, when we come back. Scott McCushin talks from Oklahoma at 8 o'clock. And Justin Ferguson will, uh, will battle that Auburn schedule for us at 8.30. And we have some Chick-fil-A for you. Uh, so we got a busy uh, hour and 15 minutes coming up. Uh, thanks for making it, uh, us part of your morning. You can hit us up in the app at WNSP.com. Your thoughts, pros and cons of this schedule. And... For those of you that want a nine-game schedule, who would you add to your team's schedule? Whether it's to balance it out or maybe it's just there's an opponent you wanted that isn't on that schedule. It'd be tough to balance these out. They're, uh, they're pretty rigorous. We'll get to all of it coming up. Stay with us. Hey, this is Amari Cooper. You're listening to Sports Radio WNFP. Kickoff continues on WNSP, and it's time to highlight the cars of the week with David McCrary at LCM Motor Cars in Theodore. David McCrary, LCM Motor Cars, LCMMotorCars.com joins us here on WNSP. Breaking news, hot off the presses, new inventory as of last night. Hey, Dave, Mark, we got a 2021 uh, Silverado Crew Cab came in. Well, it's not here yet, actually. Got to get it here. We bought it last night. It's 2021. It is the True Crew Cab. Um, it's got 120,000 miles on it. It's white, running boards, really nice truck. It's got a retail of over $32,000, something you can buy from us for right at twenty eight grand. So when you're when you're looking to buy, what what is it that are you looking for stuff that you know people want? Are you buying stuff that you like that you know people are going to like? How does that work? It's a combination of the two. I mean, we don't we don't very rarely do we buy something that we don't like, um, but we get called on vehicles all day long. I mean, I I'll have thirty different vehicles put in my face every day, and you know, yesterday we bought one, so we try to call them if we can. Yeah. Uh, you're a one-stop shop. People can come by and see you, but take care of everything right there on the property. 
Yes, and if we don't have what you want, we'll find it for you. We've got financing. We've got everything right there. It's all set up to make it simple for everybody involved, us and you as well. And we should mention, David, that, that LCM Motorcars, you guys have been around for a long time. You guys know what you're doing. Well, <laughs> every day's different. We have been around for a while. Everybody that uh, we know has been in the business. I've been doing this since I was 18 years old, so I'm not going to say how many years that is, but it's a bunch. And uh, everybody on my team's been here for a long time so, and, and been in the business and franchise stores, independents, and everything. So we've got a we've got a good realm of, pe- of people. Well, tell everybody where you're located and uh, when's the best time to come see you. We're on Highway 90 in Theodore. It's at Plantation and 90. Um, that's one mile south of I-10, exit 15A. You give us a call at 251-375-0068. Go to the website, lcmotorcars.com. Uh, you can contact us through that as well. Hey, have a great weekend. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. You too, bud. All right, that's Dave McCrary, LCM Motorcars, lcmmotorcars.com. Also recommend uh, uh, following them on Facebook, too. They do a, a nice job of putting a lot of their inventory up on Facebook. Uh, but go to their website. Plenty of information there. You, you'll have a pretty good idea of what they got on the lot before you even go out there. Uh, and I, like he said, if they don't have what you're looking for, uh, let them know. And uh, they can certainly get it for you. Uh, while we're uh, throwing out some information for you, want to remind you, uh, I mentioned it earlier, there's a, a fish fry, a great event uh, coming up Saturday at Medal of Honor, Honor Park. Proceeds benefit Family of the Fallen. Um $12 fish plates include potato salad, coleslaw, baked beans, and, and a sweet treat. Uh, takeout, you can eat in. Um, I put the information in the app earlier today, but it's at the Bicentennial Pavilion right there on June 17th from 11 to 2. Again, Family of the Fallen. Uh, proceeds go to that very worthy cause uh, for police officers and their families. So if you have an opportunity, go on out there and uh, um, make the most of that opportunity. The uh, story I had mentioned earlier, of course, we've been – most of the show has been devoted to the SEC 2024 schedule, which we will continue to do so at length in the uh, 8 o'clock hour. We've got a uh, uh, a commentator, a, uh, a guy that follows Oklahoma. We've got Justin Ferguson on Auburn. And tomorrow we're going to hit Texas and LSU among some of the schools to get their take on it. But I mentioned about Michael Jordan's sneaker shoes that he wore in the flu game or the food poisoning game or whatever. And what intrigued me was, where did this all start as far as who got the shoes? It's not Michael Jordan. He's not the one that's giving them away. What had happened was during the game, that was the infamous game when he scored all those points and they beat Utah and he wasn't feeling well and we didn't know exactly why at the time and they were saying flu, but then it came out later that maybe he was you know, food poisoning. Well, what had happened was the team, uh, one of the team, uh, I say Utah Jazz ball boys, after the game, Michael Jordan gave him his shoes because during the game, the Trumaine, I think was his name, was getting him some applesauce to eat during the game. Uh, so I guess Michael felt kind of kind to the kid and thanked him and gave him the sneakers. So the kid held on to him for a number of years, Mark. But in 2013, he sold them for like over $100,000, right? That's 2013 this week they went back on an auction and raked in over a million dollars bet you that guy's feeling pretty dumb right now think about that well i'm I'm assuming that the the value of those shoes only went up after um 
The Last Dance premiered and it gave a lot more context and notoriety to that game. Obviously, many a lot of people knew about that game, but you know, that was the first time Jordan actually admitted it, or at least his version of it was it wasn't flu, it was food poisoning. So I'm sure that only added to the lore of the shoes. Uh, but yeah, if if I'm a I don't know, man, 100K is still 100K, but I feel like I missed an opportunity knowing that they later went for a million. I'm just floored by the fact that people are we, we earlier in the week. There was an auction for a Wayne Gretzky, the last jersey he wore in a National Hockey League game for the price that it went to. And I'm I'm just floored by that. People can come up with money like this just to, I guess, what, put it in their house or whatever. Yeah. And now, I, look, I I remember, let's see, I was at my uh, nephew's. Uh, house years ago and his uncle had purchased seats from the old Yankee Stadium and and the seats were there in view as you walked into the house you know the, the seats from the old Yankee Stadium and I guess it came with a whole bunch of other things you know but you know people are collectors I guess I since I'm not so I, I find it hard to you know understand the kind of money that is spent but they have these auctions and memorabilia goes for a lot of money these days if you want to do it uh, you guys can jump in six nine four one zero five five. The schedule has been pretty much the dominant topic of the day. Uh, some, I thought it was a, as a schedule reveals go. Uh, it it was as good as it it, it could as, as you get right. I'm not a big schedule reveal. Oh, you guy. mean the show itself? Yeah. The way they did it. Yeah, but the schedule. It's. I mean, the, I don't. I mean, all those schedule shows are the same, right? They give it yeah. to you piece by piece. By the end, they had already announced everybody anyway. It's, they went alphabetically, but it was no big surprise that Vanderbilt was last and all the spots had been filled in at that point. Um, but, no, I, I, I thought it's as, it was as equitable as you could be without it being oh, it equal, a, right? I mean, it's never going to be equal. I was a little surprised they didn't. I thought for sure they might get a head coach on. You know, with the the SEC network having the pull they do, they did not. Basically, it was just their analysts, the Chris Dorings, the Greg McElroys, Tequila Spikes. Those were the ones that were commenting on it. I thought for sure they might get a coach on. Hey, how do you feel about this? Or what do you think about going out to Oklahoma? Or what do you? How do you feel about having a home game against Georgia or something like that? I that did that would have added to it for sure. I, I would have thought so. That that's what I was looking for. You know, because the analysts, you know, they were digging deep into the past and things like that. But I wanted to hear how some of these coaches felt about the schedule because they were asked many, many times during the SEC spring meetings about future schedules and things like that. Yeah. And, and for the most part, they backed away from questions like that and said, look, whoever the SEC says we play, we play. So I was just kind of curious and, and especially – I would have liked to have heard from the Vanderbilt coach because I think he was one of the more outspoken when I was in Sandestin listening to him saying how, because you remember two years ago or his first year, he said, this is going to be the most important program or I'm going to have Vanderbilt on the map. And then I look at their, you know, upcoming schedule and boy, I tell you, they got a long, long way to go to become very relevant. Now it would have been great TV for Paul to go up there and says, Nick Saban needs a drink. And then, Oh, joining us now is Nick, Nick Saban. Saban. That would have been, that would have been great on stuff. his little sippy sippy yeah he's got his little grandkid sippy cup with him sure yeah and sure. talking about hey nick how do you feel about hosting georgia how do you feel about having tennessee and auburn and lsu when a couple of weeks ago you were quoted as saying you didn't really want them yeah 
No, I, I think I think that's what most people want to hear now. And why is it that Vanderbilt and see when we talk about tough schedules, there it I think everybody just looks at whose schedule it is and then relates to that to whether how whether it's difficult or not. But Vanderbilt's schedule by anybody's expectation, I mean, if that were Alabama's schedule or Georgia's schedule, that would be tough. Mark, I, I mean, would... Vandy's got three of the top four teams, and they're only one of three teams that has it. So if anybody should get a break, it should be Vanderbilt, All right, let's right? look at it this way. Let's look at it a different way. Can any other SEC school among the 16 – say that they'd be an underdog in every game. Vanderbilt will be an underdog, I'm guessing, and I think it's safe. They'll be an underdog in every game. Let's look at Alabama, all right? Uh, Alabama's schedule, you've got Auburn. They'll probably be the favorite in that home game, right? Georgia, eh, what do you think? Maybe in two years, who knows? The only game they're the underdog in potentially is Georgia. Is Georgia, and even okay. then they probably won't be because they're at home. So Right, it's so, very or best. that could be a pick em type yeah. maybe, maybe. Uh, and then, of course, you're right. LSU, Oklahoma on the road, Tennessee, Vanderbilt. I would think they'd be the favorite. Vanderbilt, to me, will be the underdog in every game. Then you look at Auburn. Uh, what games would they be an underdog at? Well, Alabama and Georgia for sure on the road. Yeah, potentially A&M uh, at home. And maybe even Oklahoma at this point. So, yeah. But, yeah, I would say maybe Missouri might fit the bill, but Missouri has Vanderbilt, so they'll be favored in that game. So, to your point, Vanderbilt will be the only team. But that's just it. No matter who they have, they're going to be the underdog in every game. So, why give them Alabama, Tennessee, and LSU? The answer is because those teams needed their schedules balanced out. Vanderbilt will always be the sacrificial lamb. Uh, Oklahoma Talk next. Stay with us. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right. Hour number three here on a very busy Thursday edition the opening kickoff mark and lee from the studios of wnsp you know who knew that years ago when we used to talk uh every now and then we'd mention oklahoma that they'd be in the sec and we've we've talked to josh mccution many times soonerscoop.com and josh uh, welcome to the show good morning how are you today i'm doing well guys kind of a um excuse me kind of a wild night for all that for all the oklahoma fans i think it's so interesting because i think for sec fans i mentioned that it's how much of that felt very new to them and for oklahoma obviously it was yeah hosting in alabama kind of having that on their schedule was a was a excuse me was a pretty exciting not for well, welcome to the SEC PR machine. The way they uh, sent this off with uh, 
uh, doing an hour special on your uh, first year in the SEC in 2024. So from an overview, what do you think of the schedule? And, of course, you've been through the Big 12 and so forth, but you got some pretty high-profile games. In fact, Mark suggests that you may have one of the tougher schedules. Yeah, so, Josh, I, I looked at how many of what I would consider the top four teams or programs today, which, of course, will change in two years, but I looked at Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Tennessee, and from what I could gather, Oklahoma is one of three teams that has th- three of those four on their schedule. You know, and, and it was it was funny because we were discussing this yesterday. Uh, the the site, you know, Sooner Scoop staff, and we we're kind of in the office and talking yesterday. And it really felt like LSU was kind of going to be the pivot point because you figured, okay, Alabama will get Oklahoma, Georgia will get Texas. You know, or you know, however that would play out. But you thought, well, LSU's going to fall for one or the other, and who's it going to be? And Oklahoma picks them up, and instantly, I mean, that's just a monumental, uh, you know, not not just playing LSU, but to be in Baton Rouge, which you can almost guarantee will be a night game. You know, it's going to have all the hype around it. That's a, that's a monumental task. I mean, when you consider Oklahoma's, you know, you look at their schedule this year, I was comparing it. I mean, they're – they're going to Cincinnati. They're going to BYU. To one year later, you're you're in you're in uh, Death Valley. I mean, you know, it's it's just one of those things that is it's it's one of the reality checks for Oklahoma fans. We tell them all the time, like you guys think you know what this is like, but you are not prepared for some of these home home nights in the SEC that are just and even forget that. I mean, go to Old Miss. Go to I mean, that, that's one of those that is on the schedule that I think OU fans not, may not immediately understand that how, how tough that is to go to Auburn and win a football game, you know, against a team that will obviously you would assume be approving, excuse me, improving uh, under Hugh Freeze at that point. Josh McCusian from Soonerscoop.com. So let me ask you this. Coming off a bad year for Oklahoma standards, or by any standards, what is there to guarantee that this team this year or next year is going to be that vastly improved? What do you see with this program now that Brent Venables is entering his second season? I think the thing that I focus on is it's really hard to envision a world where Brent Venables doesn't make this defense discernibly better in year two moving forward. Like, I I just, unless everything we knew about Brent Venables is untrue, that defense should be markedly better this year. Now, offensively, we'll see. But I think there's reason to believe there because, A, you've got, you know, guys in their second year in a system that, that had similarities to what Lincoln Riley was doing, but definitely had its differences as well. And then you throw in... The uh, let's be honest, a, an actual quarterback competition with Dylan Gabriel and the extremely talented Jackson Arnold. Those, uh, you know, Oklahoma knows that if Dylan Gabriel's not on point, and Dylan Gabriel knows it too, Jackson Arnold could take that job. I mean, it is within the realm of possibility, which is frankly not something I thought I would say even when they signed Jackson Arnold. But he's been so impressive early on, and his skill set is just, you know, his ceiling, you know, for lack of a better term is just so much higher than Dylan Gabriel. So I I think they are trending in the right direction. But I've said before, if Oklahoma doesn't win nine to ten games against the schedule they're facing this year, I I think there's some cause for concern because it's it's just not a good schedule. This is a 
this is a schedule when you look at it, the years of Lincoln Riley, no way that's probably not an Oklahoma team that goes to the playoff. Just because that schedule is going to produce an 11-1 kind of season. You know, I look at today's U.S. Open where they pair off Roy McIlroy along with Bruce Kepka, Liv, and the PGA. I look at your schedule in 2024. Josh Heupel, who was fired at Tennessee, I'm sorry, fired at Oklahoma, bringing Tennessee to Norman, Oklahoma. That should be quite a narrative. You know, I was thinking, so we were actually having this conversation yesterday. Like, is there nationally, uh, is there the best of kind of how badly that ended between Josh Heupel and Oklahoma? Like, Josh Heupel, the, the favorite son that a lot of people, when he took the offensive coordinator job, thought Josh Heupel would be the next head coach at the University of Oklahoma and, you know, would just follow, you know, after Bob Stoops. And obviously that turned in a lot of different directions, you know, some for good and some for bad for both Oklahoma and Josh Heupel. So I am very interested to see what that storyline is like. And I know Josh is a very um, – He's not a guy that's going to say anything too inflammatory, but I'm interested to see what he does have to say about it, like what, what he thinks about it. You know, when that game week comes along and obviously those questions arise, what's he going to have to say? Because there's a lot there. And the other one, I mean, you, you talk about ex-Oklahoma quarterbacks. Oklahoma's going to host South Carolina. There's a, there's a, there's a chance that Spencer Rattler's on that team. So there is, um, there's a lot of ex-OU quarterback on this schedule. It's, it's kind of interesting to follow. Josh McCutcheon, our guest here on WNSP. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at Josh underscore Scoop. I know we haven't had a lot of time since the broadcast, but what, what's been the reaction from fans about the schedule? Do they do they think it was tougher than it should be, easier? Did, were there Was there a team in the SEC that, that Oklahoma wanted to play that maybe wasn't on the schedule? What, what's been the feedback? I, I think... Honestly, I, I think the biggest thing that a lot of people are talking about is the general surprise that neither Arkansas nor Texas A&M is on the schedule. Like, everybody just kind of anticipated they would get at least one, if not both, of those schools. Now, it's not a thing, that I, especially with Arkansas, I don't know that it's a, it's a thing that Oklahoma wanted, uh, the, the fans per se, but they just kind of anticipated that's the way that's going to go. So um, it, it's very surprising, you know, for – for those that don't know Fayetteville Norman, I mean, you're not going to get any easier trip for Oklahoma in the SEC. I mean, that, that is a short drive, relatively speaking. So um, I, I think they all just kind of thought that would that would come to pass. But um, I do think there is very much a, oh, man, this is real. Like, like we talked about already, you got Alabama coming in. You're going to LSU. You're going to host Tennessee. I mean, you're talking about just a, a heavy hit of some of the best programs in the SEC, and especially right now, I mean, with the way Tennessee seems to be having it got on the right track. So, uh, you know, and again, it, it's so much of, you know, we've spent years saying like, oh, it's, you know, going to Texas Tech is a tougher thing than people think it is, and it is. But going to Auburn's a very different animal. Like, you, you, it's just, it's so interesting because we've been telling these, you know, guys for, for a couple of years now that, like, this is going to be different than you think it is. It's going to be a very big jump from where you've been because, you know, you have an off night in the SEC against some of these guys. You're still playing a bunch of NFL talent. That's not the case at Iowa State or Kansas. And I don't mean to belittle those programs at all. It's just, you know, with very few exceptions, there's no real off, off week in the SEC. 
We're talking about the 2024 SEC schedule released last night. Josh McCusion of Soonerscoop.com. So, obviously, they kept the Texas-Oklahoma rivalry. Missouri is on your schedule. It's a road game. Is that a big Is that considered a rivalry game, Oklahoma-Missouri? Is there much to that? That was, you know, everybody was talking about the nine-game schedule. Like, Oklahoma's got to get Missouri. That's an old Big Eight rivalry going yeah. back to, you know, like Big Six, like a very, very old uh, lot of history between those two teams. But I don't think Oklahoma or Missouri consider that a rivalry game. Like, I, that, that's never been something. I mean, like, they've played a lot of times, but it, it's not something where you say, oh, yeah, that, that's a big deal to those two fan bases. I, and that's, you know, sometimes you'll get a situation where, you know, to one fan base it is or isn't. and But I don't think in either of these cases, I don't think Missouri feels any particular way about Oklahoma and vice versa, you know, with, with OU towards Missouri. So that was always kind of an interesting throw-in. But at the same time, at least it's familiar to Oklahoma. They, they, they know Columbia. They've been up there. It's all very, um, you know, like I said, just familiar ground for them in a schedule that's not going to feel that way. So Lee mentioned Oklahoma, Texas. Uh, I don't know. I don't think diminish is the right word, but does it? I mean, Texas has Texas A&M on the schedule now. That's going to be their biggest game for the foreseeable future, I think. Does does jumping into the SEC but maintaining that rivalry does that, for lack of a better term, diminish that game a little bit? You know, you're, you're putting that really well. Like, for lack of a better way to say it, I, I know what you're saying. Like, right. I hear you. Because, I mean, they're just, for so long, that's been the game that matters. I mean, not just within, you know, those two programs, but really within the Big 12. That was the game that even, you know, one team wasn't good. You know, for a while, it's, you know, Texas has had their struggles. It still was the game that if I told OU fans, like, you can only win one game, which one's it going to be? Right. They're going to pick Texas. Um now, I mean, again, like, you just look at this schedule, and Texas is always going to be, you know, kind of what, you know, and the same in reverse, but those two schools just kind of measure themselves against one another. Like, we, we know that. But at the same time, you can go lose to Texas and still have a really good year, like, and, and still prove yourself against other quality opponents. But in the Big 12, it's been like, well, if you lose to, or excuse me, you lose to Texas, it's really hard to get yourself, you know, together in the national narrative because people kind of write you off if you are the loser of that game because, you know, that's the one real test you face each year. Josh, uh, thank you so much for coming aboard, man. Tell everybody how they can follow your coverage of all things uh, Sooner related. Yeah, you know, for those that have listened for a long time, Sooner Scoop has made a move to on three, um, uh, you know, working with uh, a lot of familiar names, familiar, excuse me, familiar sites. But, yeah, we've got a promo deal running right now, you know, 50% off for an annual membership, all, all of these, these great things at SoonerScoop.com. Uh, again, like you mentioned, Josh underscore Scoop on Twitter. Feel free to follow me and, you know, hit me up if you have any questions. Thanks, man. We'll be in touch. Have a great weekend. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it, guys. Yep. Uh, scoreboard traffic and weather are next. We'll give you a shot at some Chick-fil-A. And Justin Ferguson talks some Auburn here on the sports station. WNSP and WNSP.com. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Lee, Triple G, and the SEC 2024 schedule. Stay with us. Hey, 
there. This is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A. A little Chick-fil-A for you guys here at 824. By the way, before you get to your question, you saw where Chick-fil-A is testing out a new grilled chicken sandwich. Only in two different locations, two different cities. Nowhere near here. But the maple pepper bacon sandwich. So if we get one of those to give away, you want to be first? Yes, but unless you're in Indianapolis well, you're or the, Lexington. You're always telling me bacon makes it taste better anyway. Bacon makes everything better. Yeah. What's the other one? Of course, What's Nick is like, place? nah, bro, that ain't right. What's huh? the other place? You said, where's it going to be? I mean, where are these looking? Oh, it's uh, Indianapolis and uh, Lexington, Kentucky. Ooh. Ice cream. Huh? Bacon what? doesn't make everything better. Ice cream, probably not. Have you ever cereal? had cereal? No. Have you ever had it in those things? Bacon in my cereal? Yeah, have you ever had that? No, in your ice cream. No. In your ice cream. Have you had it in your ice cream? I haven't. Then how can you talk to it about it? You, then you can't say... For a fact that it doesn't make Well, have make you it had better. bacon with everything? Therefore, you definitively can't say that it makes everything better. I have, better. in fact, had it with everything. Yes. Everything. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. Everything I've did ever eaten, ever, I've had with bacon at some point. Did you ever right. consider being a defense attorney? That, was that ever on the agenda growing up? Or no. like, Everybody uh, send out a prayer for Mark's cholesterol levels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't say I ate it with everything with bacon all the time. I've simply said I've had it with everything. Anyway, Chick-fil-A question. Oh, yeah, that, that's right. We're on to the Chick-fil-A question. Okay, this is a good one. This is a baseball related to football. Uh, the starting pitcher for the Braves tonight is a 20-year-old, one of the youngest ever to start for the Braves, A.J. Smith-Scheuer. He's from Texas, and it's been a, quite a rise. I mean, this year he has pitched already in high A ball. He's pitched in double A. He's pitched in triple A. And now he's pitching with the Braves on the major league level. Yet, coming out of high school, he was a sought-after quarterback who actually had a scholarship to go and play quarterback and baseball at a Texas-based school. Which school was that? I was going to ask, is there a question in our near future? <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> uh, all right, so we need a, we need a school. What was the school that offered Scheuer? The uh, scholarship to play football. All right. By the way, for those interested in the maple pepper bacon sandwich, lemon herb marinated boneless breast of chicken topped with pepper jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and bacon hand-tossed in a brown sugar and pepper blend. Ho-ho! How about them apples? The sandwich is served on a buttered and toasted maple-flavored bun. Hard pass. I'm going to pass. It'll get here eventually. No. Yeah, I'm going to pass. Uh, we'll see what happens if they start uh, selling it here. You'll you'll certainly want to take a shot nah, at it. I don't know. What Probably about a fruit not. bowl? <laughs> That's for me. Fruit bowl. Their fruit bowl is very good, by the way. Uh, have but you ever had a fruit bowl that wasn't? by bacon? I'm not a bacon fan, so don't, don't classify me. I don't eat bacon. How do you not eat bacon? I, I'm just telling you, the, I don't. It is the it is I don't, I'm an not American a staple. <laughs> it's as American as apple pie. I would say it's more American than apple pie. 
You would. I wouldn't. Look, I see the wheels turning in Nick's head. He's like trying to f think the origins of like pigs and hogs and yeah. No, bacon's not on my to-do list. Well, in Ugh. in Eastern countries, they do a lot of pork belly, which is like a derivative of bacon, <laughs> right? <laughs> it sounds pretty good. It sounds like solid solid research and reasoning on that one. Bacon. How do you not love bacon? Bacon's delicious. Here, I'm raising my hand. I just don't I understand. Don't. Bacon is like... Bacon goes right. good on sandwiches and next to your eggs. Bacon, lettuce, tomato? Sandwich? Look, Mark... Hold, hold the tomato. Well, yes. You gotta understand, Give me the BLT, I'm like 30 the years I'll older than Hold the bread, the lettuce. <laughs> I used to eat bacon, okay? If that makes you feel Did you better. like it? It was okay. I mean, I grew up eating bacon, pancakes, bacon, uh, BLTs. Yeah. I, it's not like I haven't had it. It's just now in my later stages of my life, I'm not into it. But you like the taste of it. It's okay not Bacon's to eat it. Oh, Bacon's yeah, the, fine. Bacon's fine. What an endorsement. I don't, you're not going to get <laughs> me to fine. say much about food. To, I'm, I don't rave about food. Oh. You don't have to be hungry to eat, man. It's good times. Uh, we talk some Auburn next. Justin Ferguson, stay with us. The opening kickoff. Thursday edition. Justin Ferguson from the Auburn Observer, our special guest, as we explore the Auburn schedule for 2024. Justin, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are y'all? Does the schedule, in a sense, look naked without LSU on there? Yeah, it's going to be different for sure. Very weird. Uh, first time Auburn hadn't played LSU uh, since 91, I believe. First time I haven't played Ole Miss uh, as well since 89. And then you got to go go all the way back, uh, really to the 40s, um, uh, since the last time Auburn hadn't played Mississippi State. And then so, 1933, the first year of the SEC, was the last time Auburn didn't play LSU or either of the Mississippi schools in one season. So, it's going to be weird. It's going to feel different. Uh, but I do think from a competitive standpoint and a balanced standpoint, it's about as good of a schedule as Auburn could have asked for in a year where they, you know, also have to go to Alabama and Georgia, uh, which are always, you know, the two most difficult games anybody can play. Right. To that point, though, if and when we do go to nine, I'm assuming we're going to sort out that whole when when they go on the road and when they host those two teams. Yeah, you would think so, and, and I do wonder how they will sort that out. Remember when Auburn. When, when we got into this situation is when Auburn hosted Georgia in back-to-back -back years, 2012, when they got blown out towards the end of that really rough year. And then 2013, obviously, with the with the pass to uh, Ricardo Lewis and, and, and the miracle of Jordan Harris. So um, it wouldn't be surprising to me. I don't think Georgia's going to be happy, you know, with like back-to-back -back home games again from the Auburn perspective. So I do wonder if we get to a point, uh, if they do decide to sort it out, if it is a situation where Auburn goes to Georgia back-to-back -back years uh, to try to sort it out, 
or if they, you know, go do the Iron Bowl uh, in Tuscaloosa in back-to-back years. I, I don't know how they're going to uh, sort that out, but at some point Auburn's, you know, probably going to be fine with, hey, we need to bite the bullet uh, and go to, you know, one of those two places back-to-back years to get this thing sorted out because um, it is, a, it, you know, it has been a desire for Auburn, and they want to keep those games as well. Sure. Um, so, you know, that's, I guess, the only thing you'd have to kind of worry about or maybe a fix um, that, you know, I think would, would, would ultimately fix the home road split, but also, you know, not really be the best case scenario. They say the SEC stays at eight games, and then you only have one permanent rival. Well, then you might not always be playing Georgia and Alabama on the road or at home every single year because you might not be playing Georgia every single year. But uh, hopefully uh, it gets sorted out in a different way. If and when they go to nine, who would you like to see come on? You mentioned Mississippi State, Ole Miss, or LSU. Yeah, I've always thought State made the most sense. I mean, LSU is a game with more history, and I think that would be it. You know, a, a, or I say more, more memorable moments, uh, and, and it's you know a bigger marquee game, and I think more fans would want to see it. But you know, LSU, I think in the terms of competitive balance, uh, and you know, not wanting to load yourself up with three great teams, which is what you know Alabama, Georgia, and Ole Miss would—I mean, or LSU would be in that scenario. Mississippi State is a team that Auburn has played more than anybody but Georgia. Um, they're both, you know, border schools. These are both schools that have very similar backgrounds as being ag schools, state schools. It, it just makes a lot of sense. State's not a team that, you know, even though they've beaten Auburn in back-to-back years, it's not a team that's normally title contender or anything like that. So it would be a way to kind of keep history while also, you know, not making your schedule crazy tough. Um, if you had to pay from those three, I think State would make the most sense, the best compromise. Um, but I think there'd be some fans who would love to see LSU and just you know, kind of deal with it just because that game's meant so much over the years. What's been the reaction from fans? We've kind of asked a question of a few people that have come on covering other schools. Uh, are they pleased with the balance of it? Is there an opponent they wish they had or maybe, I mean, other than the whole Georgia-Alabama thing, has there, has there been a has there been a overriding factor that's caught your attention from the reaction from the fans? Yeah, I've seen a lot of fans just hate that they're not playing LSU next year. Yeah. Um, you know, even though that is the rivalry that has been, you know, non-annual, uh, you know, it's been annual kind of the most recent, I guess. You know, um, they've been playing Ole Miss and Mississippi State every single year, a little bit more regularly, um, a little bit longer than, than they played LSU. It, it's the LSU game. I mean, so many great moments and so many great games in that in that series happen uh, here over the last three decades, and so. I think the average Auburn fans looking at the schedule and is like, you know what? Hey, we're trading some tougher matchups for some easier matchups. You're going to play Kentucky. You're going to play Vanderbilt. You're going to play Missouri, which on paper should be three teams you should be better than. But, you know, I think there's a lot of tradition uh, built up, and you say, man, you, you really hate, you know, missing out on LSU. Maybe not as much old Mississippi State. So I think, you know, the, the average Auburn fans looking at it and say, hey, we're fine with, with, you know, our schedule maybe getting a little easier and everybody else is getting a little tougher uh, with this balance. Um, but, you know, I think people want to see Auburn play LSU every year, and uh, hopefully we get into a scenario where things get sorted out and, and you know, we'll, we'll know for a fact that that could happen every two years or something like that justin ferguson from the auburn observer what's your uh, uh overview of the entire schedule that was released last night did you feel the sec did its diligence and did a good job i thought they did i mean i'm not surprised by like a matchup that you know alabama and georgia just maximized tv eyeballs i do think alabama and georgia's schedules both got tougher um you know and i think that's you know that's something that's kind of funny because 
you know, those are two schools that can't play themselves. So, like, you know, like Alabama can't, it doesn't have Alabama on the schedule. Georgia doesn't have Georgia on the schedule. So, getting them a little bit tougher kind of gives them a taste of kind of what everybody else is kind of feeling a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I think the only the only thing I'm interested in and in seeing how these teams deal with it is that next season Texas A&M and Arkansas neither of them have to play Bama or Georgia. And, you know, in this past setup with the divisional, everybody's got to play at least one of them. They avoided both of them in this turn. I, I want to see if A&M takes advantage of that, if Arkansas can take advantage of that too. Um, those look like the easier ones, but, you know, they protected all the important rivalries. I think the only annual games they didn't keep were the ones that really didn't really matter a ton, like State Kentucky or Ole Miss Vanderbilt. Um, so I, I like the way they did that, and I think the balance is good. Um but, yeah, you know, I think there's just a couple of quirks, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, the way Georgia's schedule is kind of really road heavy. And additionally, um, you, you get that, that that scenario where A&M and Arkansas don't have to play the two best teams in the league. Yeah, I'm, we were kind of talking about which was the hardest, which one were the were the easiest. And I, A&M was one of three teams I thought had one of the easier roads for that, for that yeah. purpose, right? I looked at... Who was playing Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Tennessee? I just took those four. Obviously, that could change in a couple of years. And you mentioned sure. A&M. LSU's only got one of them. Texas has only got one of them. Uh, whereas, mm-hmm. as you mentioned earlier, Alabama got tougher. They have three of the four, and they can't play the fourth, obviously, because they are them. And Oklahoma right. and Vanderbilt were the other two that had at least three of the four. So, to your point, I thought Texas, Texas A&M, LSU – got more of a manageable schedule than, say, Oklahoma, Alabama, and, of course, Vanderbilt. Yeah, and it's really interesting because, you know, Oklahoma getting the, the short end of the stick there with, you know, coming in, everybody, you know, the way they split it up between Texas and Oklahoma. Maybe yeah. you thought you'd get a little bit more balance there. But, yeah, I, I, I fought A&M and Arkansas the case with yeah the the thing with Alabama and Georgia I think when you try to when you try to make competitive balance happen uh, the the best teams are going to get tougher schedules on average because they don't have themselves to kind of prop up their own schedule so um, you know it's it's I think for the most part everything got balanced I think from an Auburn perspective um, what a lot of fans are kind of seeing today and what I wrote about today is this the balance it doesn't necessarily make Auburn's life a whole lot easier maybe it's a little bit easier not a whole lot easier. But I think when you make the schedules for some of these other teams tougher than what you've seen in the divisional setup and some of these permanent rival setups, that's ultimately going to help out Auburn um, because, you know, it just it feels like the rest of the league is going to kind of get a taste of what Auburn's had in the last few years. And I think for Arkansas has been another one team like that as well. You know, they've got the toughest schedule they've in Auburn for the last few years. Now they get a little bit of an easier one. Everybody else gets a little bit tougher. So it would just be very interesting to see who can capitalize. It's a good opportunity for, I think, some teams to take a step forward next year. So we had Josh McCushin on with uh, Soonerscoop.com, and he talked about the fact that Oklahoma comes to Auburn, and Oklahoma fans have no idea what they're in for. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like going to some of these Big 12 schools. How do the Auburn fans, do you think, that they feel about having Oklahoma come in in the year 2024? I think they're excited to have some kind of new blood on the roster uh, when it comes to this, this schedule. I, I, you know, I do wonder um, if they would have rather played Texas, and not just because, you know, say, is Texas or Oklahoma, which one's going to be the better one next year? I, I think that's a little too early to tell. But instead, I mean, Auburn's played Oklahoma a little more recently, the Sugar Bowl at the end of the 16th season. Um, it's been a minute since they played Texas. 
so you know maybe you would have uh, if you were Auburn you would have liked to have, um, you know done that and, and, and picked up Texas but no I think that Oklahoma Auburn game it's going to be a big one um, just because it'll be the first time uh, as an SC school you know next season Auburn's got a really home heavy schedule but there's not really a marquee matchup uh, on there with no Alabama and no Georgia so I think Oklahoma takes kind of that spot as as kind of one that's going to help you sell some more tickets and, and get people excited. Um, so that'll be very interesting. I know um, the other thing that's going to be very uh, interesting about this matchup uh, from an Auburn perspective is, of course, Auburn you know, made a run at Brent Venables uh, before they hired um, Brian Harson And Venables has talked about how he didn't come to Auburn because he didn't think the alignment was right and all that. So it's a, just another little bit of a storyline I think would be interesting. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure there's some Auburn fans who'd love to see Auburn uh, beat Venables on his first trip to the plane. So we'll see. It should be a really good game. Didn't Kirby Smart get interviewed for the Auburn job at one time or no? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kirby was a, Kirby was a finalist, um, you know, when they ended up hiring Gus back at 13. Um, you know, one of the great what-ifs, in, you know, in, I think in Auburn football history is what happens if they hire Kirby Smart instead of Gus Malzahn. I think the easy answer there is you don't get – the 2013 season, you don't get kind of the style Auburn had under the Gus years um, and some of the big moments like that. But, you know, eventually, you know, could, could Kirby have done what he did at Georgia at Auburn? You know, it would have been very, very interesting. And obviously Kirby, that is all modern. Uh, makes it it makes it an even you know bigger um, you know win for him and and obviously what he's done has been pretty phenomenal. All right, so update us on Auburn's recruiting commitments. They got a couple this week, including a receiver from Baker. And isn't there supposed to be a a linebacker in this state that may commit today? Yes, absolutely. So yeah, Auburn picked up a couple of uh, really big commitments uh, this week and kind of getting this June. Rolling the summer stretch, rolling. It's been a while since all some commitments, um, and you know they've, they've had a lot of people on campus here these last few weeks with camps and, and the official visits and, and stuff like that. So yeah, you, you mentioned the wide receiver from Baker, uh, you know, picking up and, and Bryce Canyon. Bryce came to uh, came to an Auburn camp recently, ran an insanely fast forty. Auburn offered him; he's going to pick him up. So you know, getting an in-state guy with great speed. Um, decent size as well, and I think a lot of people really like um, what he brings to the table. I also got Kinsley Fauston, four-star safety from Naples, Florida. Um, really good player there. Had some good offer, uh, offers. Um, Auburn really trying to build out that future, that secondary. They're going to lose a lot from this group um, You know, coming into next year. They recruited a ton, so it's just going to be kind of a younger secondary. He'll be a piece of that moving forward. Yeah, Joseph Phillips uh, is the is the four star linebacker, high four star linebacker, top one fifty player in the country, top ten linebacker, um, you know, in the in the composite. He's from right down the road, Booker T. Washington and Tuskegee. Uh, he's supposed to be making his commitment this afternoon. It felt like it was going to be Georgia the whole way, and then about the last twenty four to forty eight hours, uh, a lot of flipping has been done from the folks who cover recruiting with their picks, um, and so a lot of predictions are that Auburn will end up landing the big linebacker from right down the road in Joseph Phillips. So it would be a really big pickup continuing that momentum. So Auburn's starting to heat up a little bit on the recruiting trail. I think ultimately the, the measure of success, how good they are in year one under freeze and kind of what kind of show they can put on uh, for the recruits this fall is going to be the determining factor, how good this class is. Uh, but they're taking advantage of, of, of you know things up and back up in the summer for sure. Always good to have you on, Justin. Tell folks how they can get the latest uh, news coming out of Auburn. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. Sign up there. It is $6 a month 
or sixty dollars a year to get a subscription uh, to everything we've got going on there. So newsletters, podcasts, Auburn football, men's basketball. Got some stuff on the schedule today. Have a big mailbag tomorrow covering some of these topics as well, and a podcast for subscribers. So sign up there. We email everything out to you about six a.m. Central Time most weekday mornings. Hey man, thank you for the time. Have a great weekend. We'll be in touch. Absolutely, y'all too. All right, that's Justin Ferguson. One final segment of the day. We'll set the table for tomorrow. And as always, Nick has done his research and has uh, has got some information on this whole bacon thing for us. I know you're going to stick around for that. Got a couple of interesting apps uh, or comments in the app about bacon. Tight does not like bacon. Says it's gross. Tight, you and I can no longer be friends. And... Uh, for some reason, one of our listeners, his daughter, only likes bacon in the morning. Only in the morning. After 10, no more bacon. But Nick's going to inform us on what it means to bring home the bacon. And whatever else. Stay with us. This is Andrew Bell, Alabama former quarterback. You're listening to WNSD 105.5. 911, what is your emergency? I nailed my finger to a birdhouse accidentally. Do you have some bacon? Bacon. bacon that's right. I have bacon left over from dinner last night. Rub some bacon on it. What? On your hand, just do it. Rub some bacon on it. That's all there is to it? Or encounter my clone. Rub some bacon on it. I get mononucleosis. Rub some bacon on it. My nude pics get posted. Rub some bacon on it. Rub exactly. Bacon, bacon makes everything better. Welcome back in. One final segment of the day. So Nick and I were talking. Do you guys? There. He has a bacon test. This should be a bacon test. I, I said, I like crisp bacon. Not not burnt, but you had an interesting way of testing your bacon because you say you like a little, did you say flop? I, I like a little flop to my bacon when I do um, partake in it. Because I don't. if it's too crispy, it's just like burnt bark. Okay. So if you're waving your bacon around in the air, <laughs> does it flop? Does it kind of flop around, or is it just he's stiff? <laughs> Pause. Yeah, I was waiting for to see. He was trying to avoid certain words when talking <laughs> about this, and it's just not going to work. If you're waving your bacon around and and it's not bending, I think you're too. I think it's a little overcooked for me. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with that. I I don't I don't like any bend in my bacon. Pause. And for the record, we are talking bacon, people. I, but I, I understand it being overcooked, but I, I, I don't like the bend in the bacon. Still, there are very few things that uh, can put a smile on your face quite like bacon. You put it on your burger. I've seen it. It's, when you mix it with the green beans, that's, that's quality entertainment yeah. right there. Uh, we talked about BLTs. I mean, it's a breakfast staple. I mean, man, bacon, bacon's versatile. Bacon's that that five-star athlete that can play multiple positions. I wouldn't say that. 
I would say that it's a definitely an, a very elite athlete that can put up good numbers in the right situation. I would argue that if you were going with the most versatile athlete, a.k.a. food, you'd have to go onion. No. See, I'm not a big fan of the onion at all. Onion is a one-trick pony. If it's fried and formed in a ring, it's a five-star. Other than that, I ain't interested onions in Onions are diverse, man. You got the onion powder. You got to put the onion. Onions are in everything. I know, but I don't need to see it or smell it. See, that's what I'm saying. That's why it's elite, because it can blend in, and it can let it can let the other uh, players around it shine, and it can elevate them. He's that li- Onion is the lead recruiter that brings in all, brings the best out of everybody, right? He's that assistant coach. Onion is LeBron. Stop. Because Onion makes everyone around it better. You need it on everything. No. And there's a couple people that hate it for some reason, and those people just have a little kid The difference between and Onion and LeBron is Onion doesn't need to be in the spotlight. LeBron does. Onion is most successful when it's not in the spotlight. When it's, it's, it's adding to other others, making others better. LeBron makes other people better, true, but he also needs the spotlight. That ain't an onion. You know who's the, you know who's the five star versatile. You ever been to Outback? Got a blooming onion? Yeah, it's fried. That's their most popular uh, appetizer. Right, because it's fried onion. That's the best thing an onion can be is fried. But I'm just saying it can stand on its own if need be, but it can also blend in and elevate its players around it, therefore making it the. Uh, most diverse. You want to know who's real versatile and doesn't get nearly the love? I know we're talking uh, bacon. You said onion. I will counter with the Oreo. There's some serious versatility there. It's a cookie. You can put it in ice cream. It's a pie. It can be a pie crust. You cover other things in Oreo. Oreo is mm. O-R-E-O. Oreo has had... Big moments, but it is not in the category of an onion. Probably not even a bacon. It's underneath that. No, an Oreo is Damian Lillard. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just not gonna win any big award. It's not gonna do anything. You're not gonna see it in like a fancy. Re- in what like fine dining eatery? They're like, oh, uh, would you grab the Oreos out the back for our next dish? It's not gonna happen. But cookies and cream is a staple in everything. And think of the variety. I would argue that's not Oreo. Oh, I would. If there, if there were no Oreos, there would be no cookies and cream. I would say that there wouldn't be Oreos if there weren't cookies and cream. I disagree wholeheartedly. And think about how uh, the variety. You have original, double stuffed, mega stuffed, thin Oreos. Now you got the reverse Oreos. Now you're the filling it with Oreos. All, you're filling it with all sorts of... I mean, that is versatility to a T. All right, so are you saying that Oreos came before cookies and cream? Yes. <laughs> I say emphatically not knowing whether or not sure you're actually Googling that. Let's see. There has been a debate uh, long going on who first invented and marketed, or marketed cookies and cream ice cream. Malcolm Stogo, an ice cream consultant, <laughs> claims to have created the flavor in 1976. But John Harrison, the official taster for the Dryer Eddie's Ice Cream Company, claims that he was the first to invent it in 1982. Yeah. All right, can, can we agree on so when this? when did Oreos get invented? Uh, if, it, if it was after 82, then 
cookies and cream is the OG and Oreos are just a knockoff. Oreos were invented according to this in the year 1912. No way. <laughs> yep. World's top selling cookie and is enjoyed in more than 100 countries. Oreo comes in surprising local flavors like blueberry and green tea ice cream and fun shapes and forms. Once again, reiterating and backing my claim, versatile. Versatile. Mm. Like Nick Saban adapts over time. Too sweet. <laughs> All right. Uh, tomorrow on the show, uh, we'll continue to break down the schedule. We'll talk to uh, folks that cover Texas. And LSU. I had somebody text me earlier today talking about how tough LSU's schedule was. Stop. Stop it. I had a caller off air saying um, if you were brain dead by saying that the schedules looked even to you. He said that they screwed Alabama way more than any other school. Uh, I, I said they were as even as you could be. That's what I thought. Um... But there's no way to make them even. But I think they're as, as even as they could be. And, of course, you guys will have an opportunity tomorrow to, to tell us where they weren't. But, yeah, I think under the circumstances, I don't think people have too much to complain about. Although, that's what we do as a society. So we'll do it again tomorrow at 6 a.m. In fact, until then, see ya!